gone through the ages. An event that captivates the heart of an entire world. This is a night that carries us back to the enchanting world of our youth. And that was only the start. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Very possibly the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara, and today we bring you our full review of WrestleMania 17. The last strains of my way and vestiges of Jim Ross' voice have barely faded out, and yet here we are to break down the whole show for you. Because we think you might need somebody else to, as even whenever you hear this, your faculties might not yet have fully returned. I am not convinced that after what they have just seen, my fellow commentators for the day will even be able to remember their own names. So let me try and help them out. You, you are Chris White. Hello, Rory. I am. That's an excellent start. You are Dan Welling. Yes, I believe so. This is going very well. You are Eric Landstrom. How can I be sure? Oh, I knew it. You are definitely Chris Lacey. No, I'm Motorhead and I come to play rock and fucking roll. Come to kick our ass, eh? <laughs> of course he has. I really wish we'd rehearsed that one. But hey, we're two minutes after the end of the show. We had no time to. We are winging it here, everybody. But we have very much got the podcast review equivalent of the north face of the Eiger to climb. So let's get our boots in. Dan, give us the full results from the Houston Astrodome, if you please, and indeed, if you can. Here we go. Chris Jericho defeated William Regal to retain his Intercontinental title. Taz and the APA and Jacqueline defeated by the censor, Stephen Richards. Kane became the new hardcore champion, defeating The Big Show and reigning champ Raven. Eddie Guerrero won the WWF European title, defeating Test. Kurt Angle defeated Chris Benoit. China defeated Ivory to become the new women's champion. Shane McMahon defeated Vince McMahon. Edge and Christian retained their WWF tag team titles against the Dudley Boys and the Hardy Boys in a TLC match. The Iron Sheik won the gimmick battle royal. The Undertaker defeated Triple H. And Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated The Rock in his home state of Texas to become the new WWF champion. All of these were things that happened. Chris Lacey, your opening thoughts, such that they are, on WrestleMania 17. For the first time in ages, a WrestleMania that's lived up to the fucking hype and the name of the event. Well played. Excellent way to start. Christopher White, what have we got so far? I've been thinking a lot since the close of the show, and I think on nearly every single metric, this might be the best pay-per-view I've ever seen. 
there. Pushing you, Mr. Landstrom. The ending is its own thing. I think this is the best WrestleMania since 7. And I think I'll need to think about it longer in order to go from there. You've got about two and a half hours. And Dan Welling, what have you managed to put together so far? Now, I have not been a wrestling fan as long as some of the other people in this uh, in this chat. Um, so I can confidently say that this is the best wrestling show I've ever seen. Stay with us. My opening thoughts. Two weeks ago, the Manic Street Preachers, yes, them again, released their sixth album called Know Your Enemy. And it's all over the place. It's clearly a reaction to the sleek Mondeo Man sounds of This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. You've got tracks on there that sound like Queens of the Stone Age, Nirvana, Joy Division. You've got an early REM tribute. Kevin Shields from My Bloody Valentine joins in for one of the tracks. It's all over the shop. And because of that, and I wasn't expecting anything remotely like that from them, worked myself into such a frenzy, I sent out an email after first listening to the album at 10 a.m. two weeks ago to my friends, and the subject header was, it's fantastic. Yes, three spelling mistakes in fantastic. And of course, it was in capital letters too. I listened to that album again with two weeks distance this morning, and I started to see the holes in it, thinking maybe it's a little bit contrived, trying a little bit too hard, all of the lyrics necessarily stand up to close inspection but I will never forget my first reaction when I heard that album two weeks ago let's get on with our review of Wrestlemania 17 we open with the now very familiar chimes of Limp Biscuits My Way and I don't know about you but I am not sick of it yet and we pan the arena and then I think you know what they've done it they really have done it this is history this is the greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time. And we haven't even started yet. They've even scrubbed up a bit in WWF New York. A bit. Our commentary team are Jim Ross, all in a day's work for him, and Paul Heyman, here not as Paul Dangerously, nor the owner of ECW, but a fan attending his first WrestleMania. And I entirely believe him. I think they call this sort of thing rags to riches. And as such, I do wonder if there is a pang of landowner's guilt about him. So then, our opening contest pits the Can-Am Connection, the team of Tom Zenk and Rick Mar- Oh, sorry. Yes, of course. Chris Jericho versus William Regal for the IC title. Jericho's music starts us off, and I think Mr. Irvin is betraying some nerves on his way down to the ring. But who can really blame him for that? Regal is next, and he is taking to this like the proverbial duck to water. This match came about after Jericho besmirched Regal's cup of tea. Okay, that's all well and good, but pissing on his chips was right there. Ah, what a missed opportunity. So, opening contest for the IC title. Chris Jericho defends against William Regal. I'm going to suspect, I'm going to rather hope at least that my fellow contributors are still with us. Regal is out strongly with the Southport offence, and it probably gets him all the eyes at the Pleasure Beach, but Jericho is swiftly able to block and get off some mighty chops. William scampers outside, and then Y2J follows with a crossbody over the top with what is, I'm sad to say, rather de rigueur sloppiness. He barely made contact at all. Even JR mentioned it. Back in for a reverse elbow, at this time finds the mark, and Regal is up at two. His chest is already redder than his trunks, but he can fight off an early walls attempt and drives Jericho repeatedly into the post. Big heat for Daza here, and he has got both them and it. JR gives us watching on Sky Sports 1 a shout out. 
Well, it beats tractor pulling, which they usually have on at this hour, as Regal gets on a nice wrist lock. Y2J battles out and tries lion salt, but Regal blocks. Rolling Cradle gets a sharp two. Back suplex, but Jericho takes right on the back of his head as a Y2J chant goes up. The now exposed steel welcomes Jericho's elbow once or twice, but then Chris responds with two enziguris, which JR says is him resorting to the martial arts in the commentary line straight out of 1989. Dropkick by Jericho scores two, but then he gets sent into another set of turnbuckles. That takes us into a butterfly superplex. Woof. Only a two, though. Regal tries another, but Y2J reverses into the walls. He can't get it on, however, due to the shoulder work. Nifty. He then clamps on the Regal stretch, on the bad arm, of course, but the Lionheart scraps to the ropes. More chops, which for Regal's chest right now is probably preventative medicine and then a knockdown. Suplex by Jericho and then a swift lion salt. He holds the shoulder briefly, but then goes for the cover and retains the Intercontinental title by pinfall. He regains some of his lost goodwill with me by continuing to sell the shoulder all the way to the back. Eric, you first on our opening encounter. This was a fine opening match. It was no Morocco Orndorff, but what really is. (laughs) Got there in the end. There we go. (laughs) And, um, you know, you mentioned Sloppy Jericho. And boy, does he just... There's always something there in those matches where the timing is just a hair off. He's a hair slow here. He's a hair fast there. And my fear with this is if he wasn't in there with Regal, who's about the steadiest hand on earth, um, this could have gotten really off the rails. Uh, But it was a fine match, perfectly good opening contest, probably the right winner. Um, uh, Did anybody notice that they kind of messed up the finish and uh, the Lion Salt had to follow a suplex as opposed to setting up after the uh, initial move, they were on the wrong side of the camera. Go back and watch it. Uh, but anyway, that's probably why the finish seemed a little bit out of nowhere. But, you know, clean finish uh, from two underneath guys in the opening contest of WrestleMania. And the face goes over. What else can you ask for? Excellent spot, as we would expect. Chris White, thoughts on the opener? Yeah, I thought this was a pretty good opener. And it, I, I kind of think it would have been a bit better if it had more time. And, and kind of knowing that they weren't getting a ton of time, packed a fair amount into it. Didn't get a lot of mat wrestling or that type of thing to open. We got going right away, a few brutal chops that really set the tone. I loved Regal working over the arm and shoulder of Jericho. Um, Played into the storyline coming off of SmackDown, where he'd put him in the Regal stretch, and they worked that psychology into the match and beyond it really well. Um, Finish came a little out of nowhere, as uh, Eric said, but... uh, Considering Regal had been working over the arm, made sense that Jericho couldn't get the walls, and Jericho doesn't often win with the Lion Salt, but two WrestleManias in a row. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was a perfectly fine opener, about what I'd expect. Chris Lacey, how did this one kick things off for you? I think that, you know, it was a decent opener. Yeah, there was some botches, but, you know, you expect it with Jericho. And to be fair, that this is probably the first show I can think of since what Mania 6 where they've been in a venue this big um, and it's probably the biggest venue that Jericho has been in since probably the Tokyo Dome days um, so yeah on that sort of scale, stage open it up you, you've got to expect a little bit of nerves because you know you're the first ones that people are seeing Regal you know, Regal being Regal, you know exactly what you're going to get with him, and he delivers every time. He is fucking great. You knew he wasn't going to win, but at the same point, 
does us Brits proud, uh, you know, especially for a storyline built over someone pissing in your tea. Um, you know, it, it was a good opening match. It's what it needed to be to open the show. And, you know, it, it got me in the mood for a night of wrestling, you know, this kicking off at midnight. You know, start properly. And Dan, your thoughts on our first encounter here? Yeah, I won't add much more to it than the other guys. Um, pretty much the same level of matches that, as anyone has said. I thought Jericho is, is again sloppy, but he's, you know he's he needs to have this WrestleMania match, and I think it has been a, a reward for we for Regal. He's been such a great character for the last six months. He's going from strength to strength, and it's great to see him in the spotlight for a, a, a huge show like this. So. I'm happy for for Regal particularly, um, even though I still think that there's problems with with how unique his style is um, in terms of how to get a, a, a very good match about out of this unless there's time involved. So I think this was the the good the best spot for these two guys going into the match, and um, yeah, I think it's a good starting point for the show to come along. Yeah, we've talked about it before with Regal, haven't we? That I think a lot of us want to love his work but for one reason or another the examples of him really being able to do so aren't there there's probably a discussion for another day really but seven minutes on pay-per-view in the opener to wrestlemania with all those eyes on him i think that's probably the best he can hope for right now not that he hasn't got a decent side gig as well which we'll see a bit more of later on showing some other of his chops pun intended Interesting in your comments there, gents, that you all seem to be expecting Jericho sloppiness. Is that really something we should just write off quite so readily? I feel like we've been piling on Jericho for the last three or four months. And today of all days, we probably should give him a little bit of relief. But I couldn't look past it. It was the first spot worthy of the name in the match. It was WrestleMania and he got it badly wrong. Eric's keen eye wasn't going to let him get past the finish either. So that's a two in a seven minute match, which are pretty egregious for somebody of Jericho's supposed class going forward. Unless Jericho wants to be stuck in this position every day is groundhog day for him right now. He looked very nervous to me coming down to the ring might've played a part in his sloppiness, but we haven't made that excuse for him before. I don't think we can start now. I think he needs to take a look at himself to be honest with you. Unless he's happy in this role, but I don't think he is. This wasn't how it looked like in the brochure. But for us as viewers and opener to WrestleMania 17, I'm going to take it. A limo pulls up, and as on SmackDown the week before, the number plate of WCW1 tells you who is in it. If you still don't know, then hey, don't mind me. I'll leave you in peace there under your rock. Just listen to Volume 1 and Volume 3 of our March shows while you're there. And I'm going to hand over to Eric Landstrom for match number two. And we hear the glorious dulcet tones of the right to censor music. Uh, and it's uh, the, the full crew, less uh, Ivory, uh, Bull Buchanan, the good father, Val Venus. And they're going to be with Stephen Richards up against Taz in the APA, Farouk and Bradshaw. Heyman takes offense to JR describing the RTC's views as extreme. Stevie gets about two words out before Taz's music hits. And uh, this is still a money presentation, but of course, JR can't help himself by describing Taz as built like a fire plug. <laughs> it's a. <laughs> that's for you, Lacey. It's a hot today, start with. Today. Today. Uh, it's a hot start with Taz and Val brawling and Jackie getting a DDT on Richards. 
The bell sounds, and it's Farouk and Bull to start. Bull gets his top rope shoulder tackle. Taz comes in to take all the heat. He's beaten in the corner by Val. Haven plugs Taz as the two-time ECW champion. Time and place, Paul. They're moving in fifth gear. In hindsight, that was to get their shit in. Uh, belly to back on Taz gets good father a two. Taz avoids a Vader bomb and tags Bradshaw. Bradshaw pummels Goodfather and cleans house on the rest. Sack of shit slam on Val, and it's breaking down. The APA nail a spine buster on Val, but Bull and Farouk brawl to the outside. In the corner, Bradshaw nails an impressive top rope belly to back on Val. A double powerbomb on Bradshaw, though, allows the Goodfather to set up the hoe train, but he misses, and his momentum pops him out to allow Bradshaw to nail the clothesline from hell and get the three for the APA and Taz in only 3.52. Dan Welling, thoughts on this short and uh, heavy-hitting contest? I think this was probably the the moment in the show where you just need to have a bit of catharsis, because, yes, we can complain about the actual in-ring work of, of the RTC, particularly Bull and, and, and Goodfather, but whether you push it, they are definitely magnets and heat magnets so to see them getting their ass kicked effectively by by bradshaw who's you know, probably the stiffest kind of guy outside of the main outside of the main uh, main event scene is very you know encouraging to see um my question would be why this wasn't stevie richards because he's clearly the focal point of this and another main you know villain is going to get her comeuppance later on spoilers so yeah i i think that we could definitely could have had this rather be like a kind of three-minute-long mixed tag match. You know, we could have said had you know Stephen Richards being the main folly, rather than it being Bull and, and Goodfather who just looked just worn out, like compared to to some of the other presentations on this card. Um, but it was fine. I mean, it was only three minutes long, and we got to see the RTC get beat up, which I imagine for the live crowd was quite a lot of fun. Lacey, this to me stinks of pre-show match it yeah the the big lads got the shit in taz managed to do square root of fuck all even jackie got more shit in than he did it it's the sort i was of happy you, to point that out to you you know it's the sort of thing that you could quite easily put on the pre-show as the you know get people in because as people are coming into the stadium sitting down and that it, yeah, it's only three minutes. Yeah, it's non-offensive, but it doesn't really serve a purpose unless this is RTC now done. The uh, the pre-show match was uh, just incredible in X-Pac versus uh, Grandmaster Sexay and Steve Blackman. So I would have uh, much rather had that because I could have ratted on about Ratface Nacker. Put it on the tee, you nail it out of the park. Rory. Yeah match didn't matter which was probably just as well for given who was in there it was all about the result and they knew that but just giving it 352 didn't want this one to outstay its welcome or for anybody in there to do that either this is all about finishing things off with the rtc way too late they've been spinning their wheels in mud for the last six or seven months and i'm very glad to see the back of them i know regular listeners will think that i have a vested interest in the RTC splitting up and they'd be absolutely dead right. I fully hope and indeed intend to be watching Raw this time tomorrow and seeing Stevie crowned WWF champion. I don't believe that one is in the realm of fantasy whatsoever. This did what it had to do. 
got these guys on the card. It did feel a bit like a bit of a sympathy push for them. Not that Taz got much of that on the commentary anyway, because he's never going to. And I think this is a match, if we did do star ratings on here, we would probably give the gentlemen's two. No, let's not kid ourselves here. It's all about Stevie, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, it isn't. Chris Waite. Yeah, I mean, it's a match that didn't need to be on the show. But if it is on the show, this is kind of exactly how you want it to play out. A uh, bit of a nothing match, less than four minutes. Uh, home state win for uh, Bradshaw, um, which I'm sure the fans in attendance enjoyed, as well as seeing RTC lose. Nice, clean babyface win, in and out. Um, perfectly inoffensive. Probably not the type of thing you'd expect on a WrestleMania, but yeah, I, I mean, this card wouldn't have lost anything by just this match not being here, but I don't think the match was particularly offensive in the sense that it would knock anything off my sort of like overall thoughts towards the show as a whole. So kind of like slap bang in the middle, uh, inoffensive and fine. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I actually may have would have rather seen this match get another maybe three minutes uh, because you know, there's good action, a lot of hard hitting guys. Uh, you know, a, a lot of these guys, probably everybody at this point, better in a tag team type match to get in your spots and get out. Um, it would have been like it's it's allowed that Taz can get some offense in. So that would have been nice to see. Um, or maybe it's not. Um, but otherwise, you know, you're given four minutes, six guys. Somebody's got to look strong. Bradshaw seems to be. If there's anybody out of this group that, that may uh, have a future moving beyond this part of the card, it's probably him. So, yeah, give Bradshaw a good home state win and uh, get out of there in four minutes. No problem. So we reset as Heyman does uh, the best Snickers read ever. Crunch this. In the back, Trish is wheeling Linda and they run into Steph. Stephanie tells Trish she's late, tells her mom that she must be happy one of her kids turned out okay. Steph is looking impressive in a jumper with Daddy's Girl pasted on the back. Yikes. She asks Trish to, Trish to hand-shave ice for their champagne celebration after Vince beats Shane. And as the sounds of crows fill the Astrodome, I throw to Chris Lacey. So we have our triple threat hardcore title match. Kane, Show, and Raven. Raven coming out with a trolley full of weapons. Raven jumps Kane as Kane comes into the ring, but Kane quickly beats down Raven. Show finally makes his way to the ring, and uh, Kane press slams Raven onto him on the way into. Kane then up top hits a clothesline onto the floor, hitting both. We then get our obligatory hardcore match brawl into the crowd. Kane and Show go at it and back into the back. Raven is then lobbed into a wall, and Kane is then slammed onto some pallets. Show locks Raven into a randomly held cage, but Kane basically breaks his way straight into it. Kane and Show then smash each other with, with random bits of wood that are lying around. Raven tries to choke Kane with a piece of hose, but Kane quickly reverses it and lobs him through a window. Show then smashes Kane through a door, and then they both smash each other through a wall. Raven jumps on a golf cart, which the first one doesn't start, gets into a second one, starts to get it to move with Big Show jumped on top. And then that gets bunted into a fence, which nearly takes out the electric for the building. 
Kane gets into one of his own and runs Raven over. Kane lobs a water bin at show and they make their way back through to Gorilla. Back onto the entrance ramp. Kane gets a clothesline by show. Then show goes to press slam Raven, but Kane hits a big boot and both of them fall through the perspex part of the stage. Kane then follows that up with a running leg drop into the carnage, getting the pin on Big Show and winning the hardcore title. Mr. Landstrom, what do you think of our hardcore efforts? I, I don't mean to be negative here, but I'm pretty well sick of all these guys and I'm sick of this like pseudo hardcore <laughs> style. Um, and I would have rather seen this, uh, however many minutes, this nine minutes split up against some of the other matches in the card, uh, or maybe you do get that tag match on the main card just to give us uh, a traditional tag match, which I'm looking over and I think this card was lacking. Yeah, I don't know. I think the show kind of, if, if there's a complaint to be had about this show, even going through it now, having just looked at it, this match and the next match definitely like dipped the quality of the show for about a half an hour, um. Yeah, I guess this match was fine for what it was. I don't know why Kane's in the hardcore title scene. Get him on the card, I guess. But I, I don't know. I would have much rather just seen Kane and Big Show have a three-minute big man match or something like that. And I don't think Raven belongs in the ring with either of these guys. Um, I don't think you have to have every title defended at WrestleMania. So not to be a downer here, but I think this was about the low point of the show. See, that surprises me with, you know, the, the joy of watching people getting lobbed through makeshift partitions i thought you'd love that big hoss style well i'd like i'd rather see it in the ring uh if i'm if i'm uh quite honest with you fair rory sorry chris did you say they ran over the cables that carried power to the arena yeah the when they hit the fence that cable that was on the floor was one of the main power cables. Oh, God, it looked a bit thick. Wow, really? Yeah, so, you know, that could have been lights out there. Wow, just imagine our review of the show if that had happened. Beware <laughs> yeah, of dog. <laughs> of course, the show was so good. We're very glad that it didn't. I'm sure all of us agree on that. Yes, this yes, felt the, like... The... Do they turn the uh, do they turn the main event into a Caribbean strap match if they have to do this one again? On <laughs> uh, dear, I hope Dibiase was in attendance for this one. Keys in hand. Anyway, oh God. <laughs> where was I? Yes. Yeah, so this match, this felt like a almost like an introduction to the hardcore match style, and as such, that's why Kane especially felt so out of place here. But I kind of dug it for that reason. Uh, seeing man who was nearly burnt alive supposedly by an errant family member a few years ago happily driving a golf truck like he's doing Caddyshack 2 screen test uh, I shouldn't have enjoyed that so much but I did they used every bit of their nine minutes it was inventive little contrived um, going through these polystyrene walls to give a new meaning to the phrase hot desking I know ho ho so people like me would make bad puns about it mission accomplished there and the ending was something decent now, dear old Jimmy Corderas running round and banging the perspex to count the pin now, that, that, that's fun and it was at the right part in the show I've seen already a lot of people online sorry Chris who said this match should have been a bit later and I think having it here was fine so we didn't really need to think about it too much I think a bit later on I probably would have been a bit more critical. It's not a great sign for Kane, but 
he can always be plugged back in when he needs to be. And I think by the summer he will be. So I wouldn't worry about him too much. Just one quick note, though, for those getting very excited by Raven not taking the pin here. I think he's just the victim or rather survivor of circumstance. So don't come that one with me. But this match was perfectly fine. Where's your soul? Well, see, can I just say that uh, if we back up two weeks and we say that the RTC is harassing Raven for being weird and listening to Nirvana or whatever, um, can we slide Raven into that into that match and make it a four-on-four four and then just have Kane and Big Show do something? Wouldn't that just be an easy fix? I don't know. You still need to get the title belt off Raven by that point. Yeah, it's the hardcore belt. <laughs> Mr. Welling, how are your thoughts on this hardcore wonder? It's been almost three years, but finally, for long-time listeners, I can finally say, once again, Eric, I completely disagree with you. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, the warm embrace. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was riotous fun. I, I don't know, you know, and for you saying oh, I would have preferred Kane versus Big Show in the ring, we got that for months on end in the summer of 1999, and none of it was good. So I, that's my kind of rebuttal to that argument. Two, we need to keep Kane's momentum up after his, you know, Royal Rumble kind of performance and the fact that he's now teaming with Taker. We have yeah, so to him getting a big win on WrestleMania with the card kind of filled out with with matches that make a lot more sense than him being inserted means that we can get to see Kane you know get a good victory and I'm sure Chris White will back me up on that. Three, it's always fun to see the Big Show come out with to, to crickets, um, considering how much of oh, a kind yes. of let, considering how much of a letdown he's been since he's come back. Um, you know he was inserting into the title picture last month and now he's fighting for the hardcore title. Uh, this felt like the like we're talking about the RTC sort of f- farewell in the last match. This kind of felt like a hardcore title swan song, where we've not had like a a really good fun sort of hardcore style of match for a good seven months since the SummerSlam match with Blackman and Shane. So to see two huge men like Show and Kane get to go backstage and show off their strength in various ways, and yes, some of it's contrived, but it's still quite impressive to see these big men throwing themselves through doors and walls and choke slamming trying to choke slam each other through panels and, and throwing themselves off stages it's it's very good fun in my opinion i've i'm probably um off this podcast fraternity the biggest defender of the hardcore title and it's it's chicanery and considering what we got last year at wrestlemania with the convoluted mess that was that 50 minute time limit match this was far and away better than anything that that show put out and had bill stakes in it raven far and away behind these two in terms of drawing power but you know as we see from the next match i think that him being the pivot point and being thrown through a glass window and the scream that he has after it is a huge to him and kind of yes give him Tim a chance to show off more than his other fellow ECW brethren like Taz and stuff like and um, potentially even new signings like Justin Credible so again I, I I would give this a wholehearted thumbs up um, it, it was what it was but it probably was the best form that it could be so yeah I thought this was a big plus for the show so last but not least Mr. Welling how happy are you to see that well Mr. White even how happy are you to see that the Big Show is in his rightful place, being on his back in the <laughs> hardcore title match? Look, this is the least shit the Big Show has been since he was the showster. 
And Eric, I think you can agree that this match and this Kane is better than Pete Rose for the fourth year in a row, right? Like, oh, for, well, yeah, but that, I mean, that's like saying, I mean, that's let's just let's taking something bad and replacing it with something bad. Like, you, you can come up, <laughs> we, we can we can come up with something better, I guess, is my point. If we're going to use Kane, you weren't like, worried that they were going to just wheel out Pete Rose again because I was. They made the best technical wrestling match that we've seen in you know almost a decade in four days on you know four days before the show. Um, you know they could have put Kane somewhere else. I think is my only point. No, I I do agree with that, and I think Kane's been pretty valuable so far in 2001, um, coming off that Rumble performance, and obviously him teaming with the Undertaker um quite frequently. But because of that, I kind of like him in this spot. The Hardcore titles basically dead this was quite fun and a little bit different to the normal types of hardcore match wwf give us on pay-per-view i thought um the title doesn't matter a whole lot um kane's not kind of the archetype hardcore wrestler but he's perfect for smashing guys like raven through walls and crazy shit like that backstage so i mean this is a it's a wrestling pay-per-view, but it's also a, a variety show, isn't it? And we kind of got that a lot of variety here. And I thought this was quite fun. Um, and certainly, if I have to watch Big Show, I'd rather see him sort of doing this type of thing than in the main event as he was last year. Um, and just, yeah, stinking the joint up. Um, I thought as far as uh, hardcore title matches and WWF pay-per-views go, this is about as good as I've seen which says far more about the hardcore title and that division and how they've used it than it does about the quality of this match. I thought this was kind of solid um, and pretty much in line with kind of the three matches we've seen so far in that they all had a purpose and they all served that purpose very well. Um, and I didn't think anyone was uh, sort of offensively bad. <laughs> and I think considering their track record, whether it's a, a big four show or not, um, the fact that we've had kind of three at worst, in my opinion, sort of in the middle matches in a row, um, potentially a lot of pluses in them and, and cool moments. And they're all very different to each other and all quite unique. I'm feeling pretty good about this show so far. So after the hardcore match, we see Edge and Christian backstage with Angle. Angle saying, if the ref doesn't see you tap, you didn't tap. We then see Jimmy Super Murderer, sorry, Superfly Snooker at WWF New York, and the coach is speaking to some Aussies who have come all the way from Australia to see Mania, and we get the obligatory Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi chant. We then see the arrival of the Great One, and we're then into our next match. Mr. White, tell us more. Thanks, Lacey. Yeah, so taking over for my first play-by-play of the evening bringing you all the happenings from Test defending his European title against Eddie Guerrero. Has to be said, the crowd's really good for this. Um, Test gets a pretty big pop for his entrance. Certainly, if I had been in attendance, I don't think I'd have been up with them for that one, but they seem to enjoy him. So yeah, Test comes out the gates pretty quickly, hits a powerbomb for a near fall, and Eddie rolls out of the ring. Both guys fire on one another until Eddie rolls back inside. Eddie slams Test's head into the corner and leashes a few shots. Tess reverses a whip and Eddie uh, and Eddie lands in the corner hard before Tess give him, gives him the snake eyes and a clothesline for a two. Tess hits a reverse elbow and a scoop, scoop slam before going up top. 
Eddie follows him and looks for a hug Rana, but Test holds on to the ropes to counter and Eddie crashes into the mat. Test hits a diving elbow for two before landing some punches and running at Eddie, who pulls down the rope to avoid him. And Test gets his right leg all tied up between the middle and top rope. Eddie distracts the ref, so Satin gets some cheap shots in. Test is, for what it's worth, completely stuck, just hanging there um, as the referee tries to free him. Eddie uh, goes out to the apron uh, and, uh, as he does, slips and falls to the outside, which gets a laugh from the crowd. He gets in some punches onto Test, who's still just hanging there, helpless. I'm not even sure he really tried to get out. He just hung. He didn't, like, I don't know. He was just hanging. Eventually, Eddie and the ref work together to free the big man. JR kind of covers for this well, in my mind, explaining that Eddie knows that he couldn't win the title with Test stuck in that position. Fair enough. Eddie works over the leg on the outside, slams it into the mat and stomps away before they head back in. He continues to work over the leg as Tess struggles to his feet before locking on a sleeper to wear the big man down. Tess fades to his knees. Eddie lets go and clubs away. Tess reverses a whip, hits a great tilt-a-whirl slam. Both men are down, back to their feet at the same time. Tess reverses another whip, hits a tilt-a-whirl powerbomb for a near fall. Tess sets up for a full Nelson. Eddie turns and blocks the rest view and hits a low blow kick to Tess. Eddie distracts the ref to allow Saturn to come in. He hits a moss-covered, free-handled family gradanza, but Eddie only gets two. Eddie hits a brain buster and goes up for the frog splash. Tess moves, so Eddie rolls through off his dive from the top. Eddie ducks a big boot, but Tess gets a kick to the body and hits a pump-handle slam. Slatin gets on the apron to delay the count just long enough that Eddie gets kicks out at two. Tess sets up for a big boot, but Saturn runs in and gets it himself. Uh, Tess follows with a boot to Eddie anyway. He goes for the cover, but Dean Malenko's runs out. He drags Tess off the cover. Tess goes after Malenko, and while the ref is distracted by this, Saturn throws Eddie the European title. Eddie nails Tess with the belt, gets the cover and the win. Eddie Guerrero, your new European champion. Rory, what did you make of this one? Yeah, let's get this one out of the way. The extremely positive reaction that Tess undeniably got... Uh, I'm sure somebody backstage and his selective hearing, I'm sure he heard that one well enough. So watch this space and you know the 67,000 people to blame if what seems to be the inevitable might happen in a couple of weeks. But this really was rather spry, wasn't it? It was a TV match on pay-per-view right down to the Radicals interference, but that's okay. And the reason it's okay is because Eddie Guerrero was in it. There's nothing, I repeat, nothing this man cannot turn his hand to and get the very best out of. I am sure when this match was laid out to him backstage, the very fact he was in it, no less, probably disappointed him deep down, knowing that he is better than this, as we all know that he is much better than this. But never mind all of that. He went out there and he gave it his absolute all in a style of match that wouldn't be his number one pick. And he was even benevolent enough to help poor old beleaguered Mr. Test out of the ropes kind of me wishes they'd kept him there throughout the whole show like Bobby Heenan on that challenge taping a few years back <laughs> god it wasn't just me who thought that would have been an interesting idea I'm sure they could have made it work in the gimmick battle royal in any event but a fine match here for what it was again go back to what I said a minute or so ago I'm concerned what taking this belt off test might mean keep those fingers locked it's a belt for Eddie not going to count any hill of beans in the great scheme of things but any chance I get to see him secure himself a win and a large audience are there to join me for it, then I can't complain too much. Dan, your thoughts on this match? So let's just get the, the elephant in the room out of the way. Yes, 
those two really dumb spots with tests on, on the outside definitely detract from the match. However, as you've alluded to, Jim Ross's expert cover on commentary does save it for me somewhat because if I can get, get a mental image in my head as to why Eddie Gray would do that, try and get him free, then it kind of gives me back my little sporting kind of um, mind back into the frame and go, that makes perfect sense. Okay, let's get on with it. Um, and this is kind of like the the opposite of what we talked about with Jericho, where we're kind of expecting him to make some sloppy mistakes in this environment, even though he probably in his mind is wanting to be a little bit high up the card. Look at what Eddie Guerrero does in this match, and this is what you could do if you put your mind to it and just bite the bullet. Now, there are obviously arguments I've made about Kane, Jericho, and now Eddie, where you can say, oh, well, they really should be further with the card and be up against someone else, but who else is there? Because all the other matches on the card kind of make sense. So for, for me, having Eddie Guerrero go up against a big horse and using his speed and agility to make it look great is absolutely fine with me, and I thought this was good. Um Again, test coming out to a good pop. Again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. If they can harness this positive momentum in a good way, if you can have maybe a feud with Kane, that'd be you know good, or Big Show, or even some of the debutants later down the down the card, um, or even down this card as well. Um, but yeah, I, I had no problem with this match as well. It, it was what it was in the tin. Speed versus strength, chicken shit heel, chickens out of the win. With those are cheating, and now he's going to be the title holder going forward. I have no problems with this. Again, good match number four. Eric, your chance to strongly disagree with Dan. <laughs> and and I do. <laughs> this was a bad wrestling match. And I don't care how you slice it. Eddie worked hard. He tried, but he made a lot of mistakes. Uh, Tess did his best, and he made a lot of mistakes. Um, uh, let's go through it. Uh, I think this was a weird style matchup, uh, to begin, which effectively put all the onus on Eddie Guerrero to put a decent match together. I think you guys are right that they had all the ingredients of a good match, uh, with the styles, having Eddie lead the thing, play off of test, run around him, take bumps, play the chicken shit heel. But I just don't think that these ingredients really bake themselves into something edible. There were a lot of mistakes. Um, in my notes, I had Test uh, with the Hans Molman spot, uh, being unable to free himself uh, from the ropes uh, comedically. And, you know, JR did cover it, but I don't know. It still definitely was obvious. And I just felt like every time they started to get some momentum with this match, something else would go wrong. And then with all the outside interference with Saturn, I mean, running in, in blatant view of the referee, like it was too much. And another match where they didn't probably have enough time, so they tried to squeeze everything in as opposed to trimming things off. You don't need that much interference. Um, I just thought that this was a sloppy contest that didn't live up to its even uh, the minimal expectations that I might have had for it. Sorry. For the record, I, I'm tempted to now disagree with any, every opinion Eric makes about the show, just for comedic effect. However, I may not do it, depending on how it goes. As if you need to. <laughs> Uh, Lacey, bring us home on this one. I thought this was utter gash. This was just <laughs> fucking pointless. Um, Little and woke up during the middle of this, and he came in and he was like, he knows Eddie Guerrero, and he's like, 
Who's the guy that grows wrestling? Test. Test's a shit name for a wrestler. I'm going back to bed. That was pretty much, you know, a good thing that he didn't see the rest of it because he'd know that Test is a shit wrestler too, not just a shit name. Um, the only, only moment of joy I took in this match was when Heyman mentioned the wonderful named moss-covered, free-handled family credenza. And that was the only part of joy I took in this whole match. It just, just, this is that point where if this would have been later on in the show and I'd have been more tired because of the silly time difference, it would have put me to sleep. It's, it's shit. And I feel sorry for Eddie because Eddie's better than this. Well, not to be boring, but I'm slap bang in the middle on this one. I, I didn't enjoy it quite as much as Dan, uh, but I, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as Gash uh, for, for this one. I, I thought um, they they tried. Um, the spot where Tess got caught up was very unfortunate and like very sloppy. But once it's happened, um, it was, in my mind, perfectly good enough cover from JR to kind of get me back to this it's probably the weakest match on the show so far just by virtue of the fact that it, it had like more time than um uh, the, the the two opening ones at least like i would have rather regal and jericho had a few more minutes and you trim this one a bit um i i think on any other pay-per-view um if this is kind of like second or third on the card this would have been all right sort of like a five out of 10 thumbs in the middle on a WrestleMania about an hour in. Um, and yeah, weakest match so far. It's not great. Um, it's it, but I, 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 I wasn't quite as low on it as some of you guys. We cut backstage where we see Michael Cole interviewing Mick Foley. Cole asks, given Foley's past with Vince, whether Foley can be impartial as a special guest referee in the Vince v. Shane street fight. Foley says he's a little offended. Just because Vince has embarrassed and bludgeoned him in the past doesn't mean he's going to let it stand in his way. In the interest of fairness, he's going to call it right down the line, right here in Houston, Texas. We see Austin arriving in his locker room and throws down his bag. He gets a huge pop from the crowd before we cut back to the arena for our next match. So over to you, Eric. And bear with me, uh, because I had to take match notes live with this one. It's Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. Kurt Angle looks focused and worried as he doesn't uh, acknowledge his pyro whatsoever. Angle says he's got a mic and he says he's an Olympic hero and a representative of all 50 states. But he's not a fan of Texas, and their flag is missing about 49 stars. Angle says he'll never tap out, and he asks them to lose the freaking cowboy hats. Heyman. Can you imagine a man broadcasting WrestleMania wearing a hat? And so the story of this match is who can tap who. Paul says he's as excited for this match as a man can be with his clothes on. Me too. The bell rings and they circle. Lock up and angle goes for a takedown. They tussle on the mat. Nobody gets an advantage and they reset to applause. Lock up and another takedown by angle. Chris gets a head scissors, which Kurt breaks and they reset. Lock up in the corner gets a ref break. Angle gets a lift and a slam into a front face lock. Chris reverses and Angle slips out. Back and forth until they knot each other up. Kurt looks for the ankle lock. A rope break and we reset. Heyman does a great job of selling this match being about pride. This stuff doesn't need to be complicated. 
Kurt goes low for a single leg takedown, but Chris steps aside and tries to hook in the crossface. Angle gets to the ropes. Kurt ties up Chris, but Chris again threatens the crossface. A rope break and Angle takes a powder to the outside. Paul says Kurt's strategy is threatened because Benoit is out wrestling Angle. Seed planted. Angle gets another takedown and Chris again threatens the crossface. As Chris and the ref bicker, Kurt cheap shots Chris and drops him. Paul says Angle just turned this into a fight because he was being out wrestled by Benoit. To the outside, Kurt rams uh, Benoit's head into the announce table and whips him into the stairs. In the ring, Angle gets a suplex for a two. Billy to bat gets Angle a two. Heyman points out Angle's goals have switched from tapping Benoit to just being able to pin him and win. I've noted, hasn't Benoit already won then? Benoit gets some chops in, but Kurt cuts him off with a belly-to-belly throw. Another throw falls uh, Benoit as Kurt taunts him. An Irish whip reversal sees Benoit connect with a clothesline. In the corner, they trade fists and chops. Benoit nails a knee to the gut and returns some punches. And a reverse elbow gets Benoit a two. Snap suplex gets Benoit a two. He's also abandoned, trying to submit Kurt at this point. To the top, Benoit nails a dynamite kid-style superplex for a near fall. Chris locks the waist and nails two Germans. Angle reverses the third into an ankle lock. Benoit locks in an ankle lock of his own, which Kurt breaks with boots to the face. Benoit almost locks in the cross face, but Kurt reverses into one of his own. Benoit gets to the ropes. Angle looks to pull Chris back to the middle of the ring. Chris kicks him off, which sends Angle into the referee. Benoit then locks in the cross face. And Angle taps, but there's no ref. Chris breaks the hold to check on the official. On the distraction, an Angle slam uh, gets Chris uh, down for a 2.9. Angle sets up for a moonsault. And to be kind, Chris gets the knees up to save Angle from missing everything. Chris then gets a swan dive headbutt for a near fall. Chris hooks the waist. Angle nails a low blow outside of the ref's view. Angle looks to set for the slam, but Chris hooks a judo-style throw. Angle is then able to cradle Chris and grab a handful of tights for the one, two, three. Kurt Angle pins Chris Benoit. Dan. Uh, Thoughts two-thirds of this match were magic. The, the first five minutes are spellbinding. It's so incredible to see Kurt Angle go at the speed that he can because there's nobody else that can really compete at that speed. And it's so good to see Chris Benoit have an equal because, yes, I everyone, again, regulars will know how much of a loving I've got for Chris Benoit and his his wrestling ability and I don't think there is anybody who's really had a good opportunity to showcase that equalness with him in the last three or four years apart from Brett and even that was probably at more Brett's pace than Benoit's and this was Kurt Angle wrestling at both Benoit's pace and his Olympic wrestling pace as well and then the second stage which is like as as, um, Paul Heyman said on commentary Kurt Angle loses the wrestling so then goes into that's good. I'd go down to professional wrestling and, you know, kicking it, kicking it outside, punches it outside, suplexes. Again, all of that stuff was fantastic as well. But then up when the superplex hits, I do think they just just hit the wall a little bit and they do get sloppy quite a, a couple of times. Benoit's ankle luck is not that good. Angle whiffs a moonsault and some of the counters that they do are quite slow, including the finish. I thought the finish was was not as crisp as I'm sure these two incredible wrestlers would would have wanted it to be. But again, 
you've got Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle wrestling a, f- a 15 minute match and two thirds of it is wrestled almost perfectly and I would love to see these guys get 25 minutes on a on a B show as like the semi main event and just show us all what they can do because my god what we got for for 10 minutes of their 15 minute match was just so incredible that yeah I think that I can forgive some of the sloppiness at the end of it um there's just something so wonderful about seeing every single camera start flashing when Benoit goes into that diving headbutt is that's just what I want wrestling to be um so I'm sure these guys can do better when they have more time but for what this was an opening salvo yeah I'm I'm signing up for more I thought this was great Chris White yeah, uh, this was a really strong match. Match of the night so far almost goes without saying. I love the transition from the more technical grappling style to the more aggressive, hard-hitting stuff as soon as Angle went in with a cheap shot. Um, I kind of just think this match served, again, to use the sort of trope, served the purpose. It's it's the pure wrestling match of the show so far, isn't it? Um, it's kind of like WrestleMania 17's aren't like equivalent to, say, a Steamboat Savage at WrestleMania 3. Not to compare matches or anything like that, just in terms of the role on the card. Yeah, I think how they portrayed the story with the more freestyle amateur style wrestling and then angle getting frustrated and switching to looking for pinfalls and whatnot rather than submissions and how that was told in conjunction with the commentary as well as the action we got from the guys in the ring um just really great and i think again this is one of those matches like dan said i'd love to see these two have even longer just under 15 minutes i believe for this one and like yeah 20 22 minutes on a different pay-per-view in sort of like the co-main spot is kind of like what i want next from these guys i i was glad angle won but i'd have liked the finish to be a little bit more decisive i've loved kurt angle's run so far um he's been excellent since he came in what not even 18 months ago i wish he'd have had one decisive win as wwf champion in the last few months and that's why I would have liked this to have been a bit more decisive. But I know it plays into the, the Hill character. And I know that this is by no means over between these two men. So maybe we'll come later down the line. But I just don't want them to lose that side of Kurt Angle because of how good he is on the mic. Because he how, of how good he is in the ring as a character and how quickly he adapted to all of this. Let's remember that we do need to throw him a bone and give him a, a big decisive win every now and then. Rory. Yeah, Paul Heyman's line about this being the most excitement a man can get with his clothes on. That's typical Heyman in so many ways, that one. I'm not going to explain it. If you know, you know. These two guys, and I'm sorry to lower the tone still further after that one, they had a match against each other on a UK pay-per-view coming up to 12 months ago now, and it lasted a paltry six minutes. The same length of time in this match, first six minutes, has to rank as the finest pro wrestling map work, technical mastery, whatever you want to call it. I can remember certainly in the latter stages of this project, mainly because it's not the sort of thing we are allowed to see. And here we've got it on WrestleMania where 
the second word is far more important than the first most of the time. But here, just for a little bit, it was all about those first two golden syllables. And not only was it just great wrestling in a vacuum, there's our one for the month, it made perfect sense. They were attempting to wear each other's body part down to aid them with a submission victory. I mean, there was a minute where they were just exchanging semi-roll-ups, not to try to get flash pins, but to try to just chip away at the other person's ankle or arm or shoulder whilst supposedly doing moves that we just expect to be time for the pin attempts it was magnificent stuff played in perfectly to angle's frustration that that wasn't enough to get it down where he just thought i sod this i'm just going to smack the fucker that was all great and i then totally agree with dan and not just because somebody has to that when you got to the final third i'm with you dan go to the final third of this match it did get to the final third sooner than they would have liked i think this match needed to have a bulkier 10 minutes in the middle of it that's how they wrestled the first six or seven minutes that's how angle got back on offense by just smacking him in the mush that's all good but then after that you've only got really another six or seven minutes of the match as a whole and it did show and they were packing a little bit too much in there understandably perhaps being a bit too eager to please but it did bear out in the results but as i say we cannot be too harsh in this situation we get wrestling on wrestlemania how about that and you mentioned there that it was hardly a decisive win mr white i totally agree with you but that for me just means that we are going to get the rematch that Dan wanted, hopefully sooner rather than later, where they really can let rip and they're given 25, 30 minutes where Vince can do whatever he does backstage and just let them wrestle. Because I think the crowd reaction to this match, again, selective hearing, he probably was doing something else at this point, if you get me. The crowd were into this and say Benoit going up for the flying headbutt and the crowd were wrapped. All of this needs to be noted and remembered and played upon. What we got here for WrestleMania I'm going to more than take. Is it the best these two can do? I'd even go as far to say it's not even close, but I cannot wait to see in the next couple of months how close they are allowed to get. Lacey? What a surprise. Two of the best wrestlers in the world having a wrestling match, and it's amazing. Fucking simple when you think about it, really, in this wrestling malarkey. Two people that can do the job properly, put them together, let them go at it. Magic. Give them an hour, have a fucking Iron Man match and, you know, take all my money. Easily the best pure wrestling match at a WrestleMania since Bret and Owen. Much better than the one that everyone raves about, which is Savage and Steamboat. Steady on. He's right. (laughs) Fight me. I'm going to. (laughs) <laughs> the only one that I can think right now that's better than, than this with Brett and Owen. So, yeah, take my money. Give them an hour. Fuck it. Give them two hours. Give them a whole show of SmackDown. No other matches. Go nuts. You've redeemed yourself there. <laughs> yeah, give them the Gotten Hackenschmidt spot at Comiskey Park. There it is. I have in my notes here, this was the best wrestling match at WrestleMania since Brett Owen. So, Lacey, you and I are uh, simpatico once again. I love this match. Uh, I'd like to address the criticism of the perceived sloppiness, uh, and I think that is perfectly explainable 
by the fact that neither of these two men stopped moving. This was this should have been called a perpetual motion match, and that neither of these men stopped moving for the first 10 minutes of this. And that is that requires a letter a level of cardiovascular training that none of us can comprehend. Um, and I think you ask two world-class wrestlers uh, to move their bodies against one another for 10 minutes. And that doesn't happen in in mixed martial arts. That doesn't happen in Olympic-style wrestling. This is a completely different level of training that it requires. So it's perfectly explainable that in the last five minutes of a 15-minute match like this, that both men would be tired and their hands would go down a little bit and they wouldn't be as crisp. I think that's fine. I think it adds to the the realism of a match like this. And the story of this match, basically going from Angle saying he would tap out Benoit to straight up cheating to win is is perfect. Like he, this guy wants to win ethically and decisively, but not at the expense of losing. What a heel! And I think Heyman elevated the match by telling the story perfectly without being obvious or clumsy. I feel like he wins non wrestler of the year with this match call alone. Um, I, I wrote here. This was the wrestling equivalent uh, to a performance of La Vila Strangiato, and I feel like the closer you watch and the closer you listen, the richer your experience will be. And I'm looking forward to rewatching this match because I feel like rewatches will be even richer. Uh, and yeah, I've said this is the best wrestling match at Mania since Brenton Owen. Um, I have zero complaints about this match because this is what a this is what a wrestling a professional wrestling match would look like. So I'm grateful that we had this match, and I think it was outstanding. In the back, Cole confronts Regal and asks how Regal is feeling after being defeated by Jericho. Kamala has invaded the commissioner's office, and Kim Chi sends Kamala wants Regal to rub his belly. We cut back to ringside as Heyman and JR preview the gimmick battle royal. JR throws to a video of WWF stars visiting Fort Hood in Texas. Bradshaw and The Undertaker jerk off the military. Lita, Trish, and Jackie are there. Lita says they all got their own Hummers, and the WWF really does go above and beyond for the armed forces. I'm glad the six-man tag was three minutes so they could squeeze this feature in. In the back, Kevin Kelly is with a sweaty Kurt Angle. Kelly tells Angle he must respect Benoit. Kurt says he beat Chris and doesn't have to respect anyone. From behind, Benoit nails him and locks in the crossface, and Kurt taps again on the concrete as the refs break up the melee. And I turn over the call uh, to the women's title match between China and Ivory. Dan, you're yes. up. My time to shine. So Ivory comes out. She's looking quite petrified about what's about to happen. China is next with a WrestleMania-inspired peacock outfit and the and traditional bazooka. Ivory tries to sneak attack her with the belt. It does have, but barely has any effect. China then quickly recovers and throws her down with a clothesline. Uh, the next couple of minutes are just completely a nuttle squash. She hits a power bomb, should go for the pin. She does an Undertaker-style lift-up, stops the pin before hitting a massive press slam and a victory to become the new women's champion in two and a half minutes. So apart from this being a very satisfying squash to culminate this pretty queasy four-month-long broken neck angle, does anyone have any other thoughts on Ivory versus China? It's done. Thank you very much and move on. Rory, I think in the spirit of the professionalism that we always show 
on these programs, all of us to a man. We probably need to talk about it a little bit, but I do stress a little bit. This was an artificially manufactured moment, and that's what really does stick in my craw about this one. This should have been done at the Rumble. Instead, they told us the second most sickening story on WWF TV this year, but they did not need to go there. Just the awful spinning back elbow. Zola Bud made more contact with Mary Decker than China did during that one. It was terrible. Just these awful promos and a neck brace. And she comes back a couple of weeks ago and she picks up the women's title, which doesn't help anybody. Doesn't help the division, which was just starting to go places. And it doesn't help her either. This was them forcing a situation involving somebody who people are long, long, long past caring about. And I am happy to add my voice to the move on crowd. Yeah. The the worst part of WWF pay-per-views this year was was this this match at the Rumble basically, and just I'd like to if we could go back erase that put this moment there, and then the Rumble would be better for it, and WrestleMania would be a hell of a lot better for it as well. Yeah, bit of a dud. Yeah, this this was our evening's equivalent to the Ultimate Warrior versus the Honky Tonk Man, wasn't it? And uh... Boy, I hope Ivory got a little bit of bump for taking some of those bumps from China. I just don't know why we're still trying to make China something in the ring. I don't. I, I just don't see it. Uh, she she's in. She's good when she's in there with people who can protect her. I think she had a good match with X Pac, uh, something like that. But like, it's just not happening. And find another spot for her, or maybe she'll go to Hollywood and 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 find you know uh, probably a more steady and believable career there. But I just don't know that. China as women's champion doesn't help that division. China as a wrestler doesn't really help anybody. So uh, it might be time to reevaluate uh, what her role is because I, I don't think this fits it whatsoever. But God bless Ivory for taking those bumps uh, in the middle of 67,000 people. I wouldn't volunteer for that. And, and Ivory's been a good women's champion as well, which probably makes this slightly more egregious, is that she's done well. And Rory, you're right to highlight that the the women's division has kind of felt like it's been going places. I know it didn't have the title involved, but like Trish and Steph last month was well in February, I should say was really good. Um, yeah. Um, just felt really flat. Yeah. Ivory's the perfect type of champion for a burgeoning division where you can have a strong, steady handed heel champion who can kind of work with and call matches against up and coming people that you're trying to push. Then when the time is right, you find somebody you can put the belt on long-term. That's not China. Then you have the program and, and, you know, kind of strap the rocket ship if it, if it comes. But, yeah, she's a, she's exactly what that division needs as far as the, the steady hand to, to hold the belt while they kind of figure out what they're doing with it. China's not going to elevate anybody. That belt is effectively dead as long as she's with it. I completely agree with all you guys. Yes, match was easily the worst point of this entire show. China is now kind of becoming almost obsolete. She's kind of worn out her welcome in the men's division in the company's eyes even though i still think they could do something with her but and now we have no women at her level because she's been built as this you know a level above all women because of her competing with the men in terms of someone who has the crowd backing but there's no other strong you know in terms of character now that's left to take her on so the women's division is now almost a black hole unless they just choose to give the belt to lita and yeah this whole this whole storyline as We've just said repeatedly for the last three months is it's queasy, it's in terrible taste, and it's been poorly executed. Um, so for the for the 
quote casual wrestling fans this may have been a very great moment to give china some some love mm. but yeah for for us cynical um diehards this was a pretty sour taste the witches of eastwick look doesn't help matters either right let's go backstage with the mcmahons vince confirms with trish that she has doubled linda's medication and should only wheel her down to ringside when shane is totally immobile i think we need to remember that cole then barges in and wants vince's thoughts on the shocking developments this past week but vince responds with this you want done done and indeed done is he though chris white let's find out so yeah next up uh the owner of the wwf takes on the owner of wcw in a match at wrestlemania so um as this story's been probably one of the longer ones we've had running i i kind of based on the video package put together a quick recap of the story in case you've not been following it the whole way back um started mainly back in December and just sort of Vince returns and his uh, disapproval of Mick Foley as WWF commissioner, mainly after he booked a six man hell in a cell match in the main event of Armageddon. Uh, Linda supported Mick's position and Vince ended up demanding a divorce from her. Uh, Vince revealed that Linda had suffered a nervous breakdown as a result and he was uh, replacing her as CEO of the WWF then started a very public affair with Trish uh, while keeping Linda in a mental institution where she was kept sedated. Stephanie, originally unhappy with this, no surprise, feuded with Trish for a while, but with some help from, uh, and with some help with, from Regal defeated Trish at no way out. Vince then turned on Trish and in a swerve, kicked her to the curb, embarrassing her, humiliating her, and since then kind of been using her as, as a servant. Shane make, made his return, attacking Vince for the way he'd been treating his mother and challenged him to this match. Shane would further enrage his father, obviously, by stealing ownership of WCW from under his nose. That classic, like, get back dad ploy. Foley also got involved uh, by revealing that before he was fired as commissioner, uh, he'd signed some contracts uh, under Linda's orders back in December, and it gave him the right to referee any match at WrestleMania. Foley picked this one, no surprise. Shane's out first. He gets on the mic and asks, what's up, Houston? He gives a special shout out to his newfound friends, the young stars of WCW. The camera pans into the crowd and zooms way off into the distance where we can't really <laughs> see a whole lot. <laughs> Shane moves on and begins introducing the special guest referee when at this point we cut to the skybox high up in the arena. Uh, we get a WCW Nitro graphic that reads WCW Wrestlers and we can see uh, the following names sitting there watching the show. Uh, this isn't everyone. I've got written down. I'm sure the guys might be able to fill in a few blanks, but we noted Johnny Ace, Hugh Morris, Mark Jindrak, Lance Storm, Mike Awesome, Trevor Guerrero Jr., Sean Stasiak, and Stacey Keebler. Gents, before Mike, we get to the... Uh, Mike Sanders. Mike Sanders. There we go. So before this, we this, get team, to the this team will be up against the underdogs at Survivor Series 1995. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get to the uh, match itself, uh, this is, uh, I mean, not really a spoiler for the rest of the show, just but just to sort of put it on the table here and now, the biggest WCW presence on the show. Um, how much should we read into that, Rory, and kind of how much should we read into the personnel they've got at WrestleMania on camera? Yeah, I said it, didn't I? 
I hate to say I told you so, but I'm going to. In our volume one of our March shows released a week or so ago, I said that people are getting far too excited about this. That WCW are going to be treated as near equals. They're going to have their own show. Look, they're there in a skybox 10 zillion light years away from the ring. They don't even get a camera up to them until after the match. And as a friend of the show, Stevie, got in touch with me during this pay-per-view to make reference to, notice they're not WCW superstars, they're WCW wrestlers. That's a big, big difference. And that's what they're up against. They were, oh, yeah, they were never, ever, ever going to get involved in this or any other match on this card. Come on now. Eric, I'd seen some rumours online in the last week or so that like Shane was going to have like Booker walk him down to the ring or something like that. Like it was just never on the cards. I don't know. If, I don't know if we can read much into this. I'm sure while the sale has been completed, it's still in a, a processing phase. So. You know, this is an auspicious start as far as the perception of WCW. Like, why would you put these guys on screen if these are the only guys available? But I, I don't know if there's much to read into it as far as we we're pretty sure that guys like uh, like Booker and, uh, you know, some other some of those other WCW guys will be on their way shortly. DDP is another one who's, who's probably going to show up. So th- this doesn't represent what we might see, but it certainly is an auspicious start. Maybe best to just maybe best just to not not have this because this is not the this is not the a crew this isn't even the a crew for wcw worldwide and that's that's a big problem it's just a kick it's just a double kick and look look at the shitty wrestlers that we've sent over just kick wcw again once it's down well these are also all the guys on the or this isn't everybody but Everybody who's here was on the list of non-guaranteed con- and Johnny. Well, aside from Johnny Ace, who's not a talent, um, but all the active talent here are the guys who are on the list of guys non-guaranteed uh, that the WWF was going to take a flyer on anyway. So, uh, you know, these are just the guys that were immediately available uh, by their contracts too. So, just you know, there, there's a lot. There's a lot more to this than just oh, Vince wants to embarrass WCW by putting Mark Jindrak at WrestleMania. I agree with everybody. It's it's yes, it's clearly a slap in the face to like WCW the brand as as I don't think the man in charge could ever give them credit um, credit or praise uh, unless absolutely forced to and there's money to be made. And also this really isn't the show for it. I mean you can't just wheel out people like even like people like Booker T and and Scott Steiner or even God forbid Buff Bagwell. You kind of need to save them for for more showcasing um you know television time so i can understand why they don't want to you know showcase any talent that they definitely consider a draw here but it, it just came off so kind of like of a dismissive wave from the victorious toff you know just look parading his latest trophy um so yeah we'll we'll wait and see but this isn't a good start but look we've got a long way to go on this front let's, uh, let's not be too um judgmental yet the young stars of wcw led by johnny ace back to the show and uh foley's out after shane's introduction makes his way to the ring vince follows and he's accompanied by stephanie mcmahon helmsley as expected we're underway vince throws some truly awful punches only uh, early and drives shane back into the corner he kicks away and taunts Shane in the corner before getting in some shots of, and I say this term very loosely, ground and pound. 
<laughs> Shane fights back and hits a clothesline, follows it up with a spear and gets some punches away of his own. He drops an elbow and in comes Steph to back Shane off. Stephanie slaps Shane, which gets a lot of heat with the crowd. Shane hits a baseball slide to Vince and they scrap outside. Uh, Shane hits Vince with a street sign and rams his dad into the steel steps. Shane climbs onto the wall around ringside, hits a diving clothesline off it. Steph is squealing, get up, dad, right into the camera. And it's so high pitched and annoying. Shane goes under the ring and comes back up with a kendo stick, which he smashes Vince with repeatedly. Shane hits his punch combo on a staggered Vince and clears the Spanish announce table. Shane nails Vince with a monitor and uh, leaves him laid out on the cleared table. He gets into the ring, goes up to the top and looks for a flying elbow from the top rope onto Vince on the announce table. But Stephanie's helped Vince move out of the way. Shane crashes and burns through the table. And it has to be said, that was an awesome spot. Shane's apparently out cold, which is a uh, Trish's cue to wheel uh, the sedated leaning down to ringside. Trish tends to Vince before she turns on him and nails him with a slap for a huge pop. Steph isn't having this. She slaps Trish, so Trish goes after her and the two brawl at ringside. Steph crawls into the ring to escape, but Trish follows and the two end up catfighting in the ring to an absolutely huge evasion from the crowd until Foley breaks it up. Stephanie slaps Foley in the face. Trish chases her up the aisle where their fights continued and they run to the back and out of picture. At ringside, Vince is getting to his feet when he finally notices Linda. Foley stops Vince from approaching Linda and wheels her away. Vince grabs a chair and nails Foley with it from behind. He wheels Linda to the side uh, of the ring apron and rolls her into the ring as the crowd go up with a huge asshole chant. Vince puts a chair in the corner of the ring and sits Linda on it. He goes after Shane again, who's still down from the table spot. He throws him into the ring and hits him with a garbage can right in front of Linda. He talks Linda after this first shot, but goes back for more. Nails Shane with a second garbage can a few more times and uh, taunts Linda again, telling her third chimes a charm as he grabs a third garbage can. Shane is on his knees, begging off as Vince rears back to hit him and Linda rises from her chair to what is, in my opinion... By far the loudest reaction of the night so far. The crowd went absolutely nuts. Vince turns and uh, Linda walks up to him. He's just the classic Vince McMahon facial expression here. And Linda kicks him straight in the nuts. JR screams right in the McMahon family jewels. Foley gets back into the ring and loads on Vince with punches in the corner and follows up with a running knee. Crowd are going ballistic for this. Shane puts a trash can in front of Vince and climbs to the opposite turnbuckle. He hits a diving coast-to-coast dropkick right into the trash can, and the camera angle for that one was perfect. It just looked sensational. It was really tight behind Vince and looked so high impact. Shane covers Vince. Foley counts the three. Linda applauds as we cut to the WCW wrestlers celebrating Shane's victory. Shane and Linda hug it out, and Foley takes Linda to the back. To me, for all its faults, this is sports entertainment at its absolute best, Dan. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so, the, the, as you said, the, the great things in this match were absolutely tremendous. Shane's coast-to-coast, you know, almost as good as Rob Van Dam, Chris Lacey. Um, and Linda rising from her chair are just goosebump inducing it's just one of those things where you can 
watch it every time you watch this pay-per-view and, and not get tired of it and still get spine-tingling sensations. It's just wonderful. I, I just kind of feel like it wasn't enough for this level of debauchery this, this storyline has had. I feel like particularly Linda and Trish kind of didn't have that too much of a comeuppance against some of the stuff that Vince has done to them. I think this was, if this was just about Shane, Linda and Vince, I think this probably would have been that much more satisfying but yeah some of the stuff that Vince has done to, to Trish in particular I don't think a slap is enough to to really give us the feels for for this but maybe I'm being too picky because yeah the, the Linda moment is just incredible for, for and the crowd are just alive for it and even the little moments of Shane just kind of like pointing behind him as just to turn around just to make sure that it's clear that everyone's in on this so, yeah, I, I definitely do feel that this was satisfying, but maybe it's just because I have such heightened expectations that I didn't think it was too much of the 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 slam dunk that a lot of other people seem to be thinking this was. Lacey, what did you make of this one? This was everything that it needed to be. You know, as we said earlier, we've had a wrestling classic in a clinic. Shane and Vince was never going to be that. Their their punches, both of them, are fucking shit. But Shane doing stupid shit and diving through a table, diving off the barriers, hitting the Van Terminator. You know, it's it's stuff that you he shouldn't be able to do. But fuck me, he does it and does it well. This this is not a this isn't a wrestling match. This is so proper. This is sports entertainment. You know, I know how we were blistering it earlier for what Vince calls it, but this is what is sports entertainment. And it had all the drama, the fucking Trish and Steph stuff worked, Foley's parts of it worked, zombie fucking Linda rising from the fucking coma. Just everything about this was fun. Everything about this works, you know. It, it, it was it was the perfect match for this story and the perfect match for these two to do. Is it going to win wrestling match of the year? No. Is it, you know, is it ever going to be sort of seen as a fucking classic? No. But is it the perfect example of, of sports entertainment in this world that Vince tries to push forward? Yeah. And yeah. Fuck it. As long as it's not proper wrestlers doing this shit and devaluing good in-ring workers, then have Shane and Vince do this shit. It works. Eric, over to you. If the conceit of the match is Shane McMahon versus Vince McMahon, I don't know how much better it gets than this. I feel like this was a meticulously well-structured match, booked perfectly, and pulled off perfectly by some of the best on-screen personas in wrestling, but certainly none of the best workers except for Foley, who was definitely playing the Pat Patterson WrestleMania 11 main event role in there, just in there to help keep it all together. I think that's a perfect role for him at this point. And we had a holy shit surprise and uh, just an absolute bonkers finish. Dan, you mentioned that you didn't think Vince got his comeuppance. I just don't see how getting kicked in the balls by your wife getting your knee rammed into the turnbuckle by a 300-pound man 
and then getting your face crushed by a you know by a flying drop kick with that amount of momentum you know isn't kind of sufficient for what Vince has put all these people through and certainly the storyline isn't over but like everybody and their brother wanted to see Vince McMahon get the ever loving shit kicked out of him and that's what we got and it didn't go too long uh, you know none of the segments you know kind of the sub segments of the match uh, wore out their welcome uh, Foley played his part perfectly I, I just I don't see how you can you know poke holes in this considering who the participants were i thought this was absolutely stellar bring us home rory and the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon little boy blue and the man in the moon when you're coming home dad i don't know when we'll get together then you know we'll have a good time then bow 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 and we did did we not yes it was silly Yes, it was superficial. Yes, it was bloody sensational. And I feel like we say it at least once every month. Why don't they just put their minds to this stuff a little more often? Their hit rate could be so much higher. What we got here feels to me like the exception. When, from a supposed sports entertainment company, it should be the norm. Everything here that you could possibly realistically want to happen did. You want to see Shade and Vince recreating some of the brawls they had, because you know they had them 20 or so years ago, probably with those quality of punches too, then you got them. Foley holding everything together, you got it. Stephanie wearing a daddy's girl top, and believe me, that one did not come from the costume department. You've got that there. In as much as you were ever going to get, Trish got her come up and see her. I said this in the WrestleMania preview show last month, that nothing could or will or should atone for what she was put through, what the woman herself was put through a few weeks ago. But for Vince, you might need to look at it very figuratively, but a slap in the face from his mistress and a kick in the bollocks from his wife, those are the two things he does not want, and those are the two people he does not want to administer them to him. And he got them in this match. And he got his son drop kicking a trash can into his chest for good measure. This was ludicrous. It doesn't stand up to even the remotest bit of scrutiny. But if you're trying to even apply that to this match, then you're probably watching the wrong form of entertainment. This was Barnum and Bailey Circus 2001 TV 14 edition. When he does things like this, Vince McMahon achieves his goal. But wouldn't it be nice if he could do it just a little bit more often? But in the here and now, I'm taking it. Yeah, and to me, Trish's ultimate revenge isn't the slap. It's the fact that she very evidently didn't double Linda's medication, right? And Linda's able to give us that moment and kick Vince in the balls. And but to... but she, still, she still wheeled Shane down when he was totally immobile. See, that's the tight storytelling I love, that it's just too rare. But when they get it right, they really do get it right. And that's that's that Linda moment is of Trish's making. That's that's the revenge. Good point. And in storyline, Trish created that and has clearly, to some extent, had an arrangement with Linda that means she hasn't doubled her medication or whatever but she's still going to wheel her out there and Linda we are led to believe in hindsight is for the most part of that playing the role 
of the medicated medicated <laughs> wife and then eventually reveals that actually she's she's present in the moment and Vince doesn't know it and that's Trish's doing yeah I, I, I don't know that I agree with you Eric I don't know that this could ever possibly be better I think you do this match a hundred times and this is the very best of them um, I don't think I ever expected in my life that Linda McMahon could generate a pop that loud but she did <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 just by playing herself if you really yes, by standing up like i mean we'll get to it but i mean the yeah. next match and some of the stuff those guys do and they get close on a couple of occasions but some of those stunts and linda mcmahon <laughs> standing right. it, it just Rising shows you from what, a chair it just shows you what storytelling can really do and like why we love this stuff um and why we all love we all are wrestling fans. We all love the pure wrestling. But to me, when the soap opera sports entertainment storyline side is as good as this, I want it on my card just as much. But I mean, the, the issue is when it's not as good as this and then we have real big problems and uh, that creeps up every now and then all too often. But yeah, WrestleMania is about moments and this match has had them in abundance. Like I'll, I'll remember Linda getting out of her seat forever and I'll remember the finish forever and that's kind of the whole point right vince got his uh it was it was an overbooked illogical mess but it was just so much fun and everything worked um yeah to me uh i i said it at the end of my sort of play-by-play but that sports entertainment is absolute best as i say are you not sports entertained i'm very sports entertained you like that a lot there's more where that came back. Third time's a charm. What must be going to the mind? Watch this. This human being. Wait a minute. Linda rolls from her tent. Linda rolls from her tent. We cut backstage and uh, we get a video of Kevin Kelly talking to Matt and Jeff Hardy at WWF Access. Basically, they both said they're going to give it their all, put it all on the line, and they'll go into this next match as if it's their last. We then see Triple H and Undertaker both getting ready for their upcoming match backstage. We cut back to the ring and it's time for TLC2. We have the Dudley Boys defending their WWF tag team titles against Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. And I'm going to do my very best to keep track of everything in this one. Fast start, as expected, with uh, the Dudleys beating on Christian and the Hardys beating on Edge. The Dudleys hit a double flapjack on Christian, who rolls outside. The Hardys and the Dudleys brawl. Matt and Jeff getting the early advantage with some classic tandem offense in the corner. Edge and Christian are back with a ladder and run through the Hardys, following up with the Dudleys. Christian hammers away on Matt in the corner, while Edge sits up a chair in the middle of the ring. Matt gets put in the tree of woe as E and C climb up to stretch Matt's groin. That is not an innuendo. Jeff runs at Edge and Christian, but takes a drop toe hole into the chair that was previously set up by Edge. The Dudleys uh, pound away on Christian on the outside as Edge goes for the first climb of the match, but Matt cuts him off and throws him into the corner. Matt tries to climb, but Edge clotheslines him off the ladder. Edge climbs, but Jeff runs up, uses a steel chair to jump off and hit a dropkick to send Edge flying. 
The Hardys then hit a baseball slide drop kick to the Dudleys, who are holding a ladder on the outside. Christian goes to climb, but Matt slams him down. The Hardys set up a ladder each, put Christian down and hit tandem diving moves off the top of the ladders onto Christian. Dudleys run in and send both Hardys outside. Bubba slams edge. Devon goes up and they hit the what's up. Devon and Bubba are feeling it now. Bubba calls for the tables. They each bring a table in, one set up in the middle and one's propped in the corner. Bubba lays Edge on the table in the middle of the ring, but Jeff cuts him off. Jeff charges at Bubba, but Bubba catches him, spins and powerbombs Jeff Hardy through Edge on the table in a great spot. Bubba and Devon set up four tables, stacked two by two on the outside, as Matt takes a few people out around ringside with a ladder. Three ladders are set in the middle of the ring. All six men climb and the race is on. Lots of punches and the two ladders either side crash down. Christian and Matt fall one way, Devon and Jeff the other. Christian took a really violent fall over the top rope to the floor and we get an awesome bird's eye view replay. Bubba and Jeff are left uh, in the, on the middle ladder, but both send each other crash into the mat and all six men are down. At this point, Spike Dudley runs down. He hits Edge with a bulldog off the ladder uh, as, he, as he looked to climb. He runs uh, to the corner, runs up the turnbuckle and hits Christian with the same, this time through a table set up on the outside. Two really nasty bunts of Christian in, in about 30 seconds. Jeff looks to climb in the ring, uh, but Rhino is out here to cut him off. He nails Devon with a ladder, hits a gore on Bubba Ray before turning, hit an awesome gore through Matt Hardy, who's uh, through a table in the corner of the ring. Rhino sets up the ladder for Edge to climb, and who should run in? It's Lita, and JR tells us that she's here to jerk Edge off. Lita pulls Edge off, not sure that sounds any better, the ladder, and rams his head into it. <laughs> he, uh, But it's caught by Rhino. Uh, he goes to the press slam, but Spike breaks it up with a low blow. Lita goes to the top rope, hits a Harakam Rhino on Rhino. Uh, Edge is climbing the ladder and uh, is right near the belts, but Spike nails Rhino with a chair shot. Rhino falls into the ladder and sends Edge flying. Edge crotches himself on the top rope, uh, announces side. The Dudleys hit, as Heyman calls it, the Dudleyville device on Rhino, before uh, Lita is back in uh, to crack Spike with a chair. Lita takes off her top, despite Heyman's pleas for her to take it all off. She's unable to, as the Dudleys lay her out with a 3D. Less of that, please, Heyman. I thought we got rid of uh, the king, but there we go. Edge nails Devon with a chair, then tosses it to Bubba, and Christian absolutely smashes the chair Bubba has just caught with one of his own in a really innovative spot. Uh, Jeff Hardy lays Rhino on the table outside the ring, pounds away on Christian. Jeff sets up an absolutely huge ladder, like uh, the scale here. The ladder is propped on the floor standing, and it's taller than the ladders in the ring, only just... Jeff climbs this ladder on the outside. He hits a swanton bomb from the top through Rhino and Spike, who are on the tables. Devastating. Back in the ring, Christian and Devon both make the climb uh, using one of the extra tall ladders. But Matt Hardy takes the ladder from under him and moves it to the corner. There are three regular ladders set up in the ring. Jeff climbs to the top rope in the corner. Devon and Christian are still dangling, but Devon drops first. Christian tries to hold on and get the belts, but he falls too. Jeff tries to walk across from the corner using the three setup ladders to the belts in the centre of the ring. Unfortunately, he loses his footing on the second, jumps across to the third, and it tilts, buckles, and he lands on his feet standing. Here, rep Jeff repositions the ladder, climbs, grabs the belts, but Bubba moves the ladder from under him, pulling it to the corner. While this is happening, Edge has climbed to the top of the extra tall ladder that's been placed in the opposite corner. 
Bubba pulls the ladder from under Jeff, leaving him hanging, and the momentum takes him in Edge's direction. Jeff Hardy relentless in his quest to retrieve those tag team title belts. And Jeff now losing his balance, hanging from the top, trying to get back under that ladder. Jeff moving the ladder underneath him. But Bubba Ray Dudley. Edge dives off the ladder, hits a huge spear midair and through Jeff and takes them both down. That was such a magnificent spot. And uh, regardless of the Linda moment earlier, I now think that was the biggest pop of the night so far. Matt and Bubba uh, climb the big ladder in the middle of the ring, punch it out at the top. Rhino runs in, pushes the ladder over and both Matt and Bubba crash through the stack of four tables built earlier ramp side on the floor. Devon climbs the ladder, but Edge holds him in place. Rhino gets Christian on his shoulders and helps him climb the opposite side. Christian grabs the belts to win the match for himself and Edge, and we have new WWF Tag Team Champions. Rhino helps Edge to the back as we survey the carnage and Christian's help backstage by a referee. Eric, thoughts on TLC2? I have no doubt that we will be talking about this match for quite some time. Uh, this was an incredibly memorable match. Uh, Chris, as you uh, and very good job trying to squeeze all that in because a lot happened here. Great spots, well worked. Timing was mostly right there. Um, yeah, I think you're going to hear a lot of praise about this match, and I suspect we're going to get a lot of praise on this roundtable. And and this was an absolutely stellar contest. The only fly in the ointment for me, but it's a big one, is. For me, some of these bumps make it really hard for me to suspend disbelief. And at a certain point, I'm wondering, are these guys like actually ruining their bodies to entertain me as opposed to, uh, you know, putting together a work contest that, yes, is strenuous on your body, but doesn't actively, you know, cause you to you're, you're basically shooting with some of the bumps you're taking instead of working them, if that makes any sense. And so. I worry about the precedent a match like this uh, sets, and these guys continue to raise the bar every time they have a match like this, and I just wonder where that stops. And I worry about these guys' long-term viability. Like, will we see Jeff Hardy or Bubba Dudley or Edge as viable competitors You know, uh, much for much longer? Because the, the bumps these guys take are spectacular, but they're also devastating to the body. And your backs and your knees and your necks and your shoulders aren't designed to take blows like this repeatedly. And they're never designed to take blows like some of those bumps we saw in this one, particularly that edge spear. Like that, the human body is not designed to go through that. So this was spectacular, memorable. We'll be talking about it a long time. I'm certain. I'm sure a certain journalist that we all have divergent opinions of will give this uh, near maximal rating. Um, no question about it. This was an incredible match. I just don't really ever want to see it again because I am more, I, I think the the question it comes down to is, is a match like this worth what it puts the competitors to, competitors to through? And I, I don't know that it is. Dan, take it away. I thought this was tremendous, as I think everybody in the world feels. I mean, I, again, 
spectacle is is one of those things that wrestling needs and this was just absolutely incredible spectacle of six men well effectively eight men and one woman putting all of themselves into this match and just sacrificing their bodies to to to, play, to enjoy us as, as eric's mentioned uh, i do think i preferred the SummerSlam match it felt more natural and it didn't feel as contrived at points that i felt this match did um it did feel occasionally like like matt and bubba just after the the incredible edge spear spot did kind of just walk in and start pointing at things and I personally did feel a little bit taken at the moment there. And as Eric makes an excellent point, like, is that because they were trying to do so much more in this match that they ended up trying to to contrive some of the spots? And by putting themselves on the line even more so than they would normally do, they actually made that the match just a little tiny bit worse than they did in SummerSlam. Um, Obviously, that's just my opinion anyway, but um yeah i i think that there is a precedent to say that this this could be for the greater good of wrestling something that's actually you could look back on it in the future as something that's uh, a negative because it just makes the expectations of the crowd and the expectations of the back and the kind of pressure that wrestlers have to do, have to have to top what has come before almost unobtainable and like Hell in a Cell with Mankind back in 1998, and then with what we got with No Way Out 2000, which was still an excellent brawling match, but some people were left deflated that we didn't get anything that topped the Mankind Mick Foley jumping off the cell moment. And yeah, I kind of get the feeling that this is maybe in the long term something that's bad. I don't want to end on a negative though, because when I say I didn't like this match as much as SummerSlam, I'm saying that in a I don't like the SummerSlam 94 match with Bret Owen as much as I liked the WrestleMania 10 match because both are incredible matches. And like this one, these two TLC matches have been incredible matches. And I think if these three teams don't go down in history as three of the greatest tag teams we have ever seen and what they've done for for millions of fans watching them something has gone horribly wrong because my goodness me they they put their bodies on the line and they gave us an absolutely epic spectacle Lacey over to you this was car crash tv it was literally just top this spot top this spot one after another and both Dan and Eric both said that yeah, you know, the, these matches are not good for the guys to be doing them because the fucking bumps are ridiculous. That fucking spear is how neither of them were were completely fucked after that. I do not know. And to think we've had three of these in the last thirteen months, I would now if if I was Vince, I would now go right for the sake of yourselves and the sake of, you know, as as Dan said, the top that mentality, put the TLC triple threat ladder match steps out of 
out of mind's eye for a while and you know let these guys not have to just rely on massive spectacles because fuck me they're amazing but for the long-term good of these guys can we just have some normal wrestling um because i don't want to see the dudleys in fucking wheelchairs within a a couple of years because one of these ladder spots through tables onto a concrete floor goes wrong I loved the use of the thirds in this. All three of them all played their part. Spikey, Spike hitting the acid drops. Beautiful. Lita coming in, throwing Rhino around with the Hurricane Rana. Rhino coming in and absolutely murdering people. You know, Rhino's been about for a couple of weeks. And this is the showcase that he needs to go, yeah, this guy's a fucking killer. And... You know, as I said, an amazing match. Just car crash spots, but please, for the good of everyone involved, can we not have another one for at least another 18 to months to two years? Because I daren't think what they would do if they were going to play top that. Rory, bring us time. Yeah, if the match at WrestleMania 2000 was the first EP, the match at SummerSlam 2000 was their debut album. This was the difficult second album. And as Paul Stanley of Kiss so wisely put it, you have your whole life to write your first album. You have six months to write your second. And just taking this match alone and trying best I can and probably failing to separate it from all things WrestleMania, I think that showed through no real fault of their own because they were given this and I'm sure this was all them but they knew in their heart of hearts that SummerSlam what they did there could not be topped that there's only one way you could do that and nobody wants to be signing those certificates so they probably overthought it a little bit and thought that the use of the thirds and I do agree with Lacey they were placed in there nicely enough didn't feel especially shoehorned i've got to say that i think the fact that i expected they were going to be there diminished my enjoyment a little bit and i'm with dan when he talks about the spots in this one SummerSlam 2000 they were astonishing and astounding but to me they felt like natural consequences of the things they were doing to win the match within the confines of professional wrestling like if you're taking that sort of risk to grab a belt in the air chances are you might fall 20 feet down to the ground and crash through four tables here there were just a couple of extra moments which harked back too much to the wrestlemania 2000 match jeff hardy's ladder on the outside for no reason whatsoever for example it would be a churl and a cold heart indeed who would even consider criticising anything they did in this match. And for the spectacle element, which was what they were going for, and it's yet another tick of an example of a match type on this show, which will parlay into my final score rating a bit later on, as if you haven't already guessed it, all the thumbs up. And that edge Jeff Hardy spot, I'm seeing it again in my head now, 
I've no doubt I'll see it in a few of my dreams and very possibly a couple of my nightmares as well. But I'm not going to wake up during it until it's all done. Is it about the moments? Is it about the memories? Right now, I'm prepared to say it is about the moments. When I come back to watch this match again in a couple of months time and my enjoyment maybe will dissipate. But for here on WrestleMania 17, they did everything they had to do and a lot more besides. But let this please, please be the end of it. We don't deserve to be entertained with this stuff anymore because of those consequences. And somebody, and he knows who he is, needs to start paying attention to that pronto. I think I'll always remember our conversation about King of the Ring 98 and these similar sentiments about like being enthralled by the spectacle of what we've just seen, but pleading that we don't see it again, basically. Um, and I think as far as Hell in a Cell and that stipulation has gone, we can give them a huge like, congratulations that they've they've not done that they've they've used hell in a cell since then and in my mind used it well but they've not had those mankind spots ripped off repackaged redone they 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 they, the closest they came i mean is the what the rikishi armageddon and i mean come on that's like it's, it's it's so much safer it's nothing it's not even in the same world um and here I think for that reason and the, the the spectacle match that I would echo these same warnings about as all of you, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt in that we've had the trilogy. Now we had the, the ladder last year, TLC one and TLC two, put it to rest. Now you don't need a fourth chapter to this story that, that, that follows these specifications and, for my mind, for what it's worth, gut instinct, gut reaction. Unlike most trilogies in any form of media, I think they've peaked at the finale here. Um, I think this match out of any of the three will have spots that I remember more, um, moments that I'll remember more vividly. Maybe it's just WrestleMania 17 feels so much more of a WrestleMania caliber show than 2000 ever did. Um, and and maybe it's just because I I'm, I'm coming off a fresh viewing of it, and to be fair, I'd had to I'd have to go back and watch the match back from SummerSlam and see how I feel side by side. But yeah, my gut instinct is that this is the best of the bunch. The addition of Rhino, Spike, and Lita were was excellent, and I think all of them were excellent. Jeff Hardy, how he took that bump with the uh, with the swanton off the top of the big ladder on the outside and then took that spear from Edge while hanging onto the belts within probably 90 seconds to two minutes of each other and was able to walk away from it. Frankly, I'll never know how a human being can do that. Christian as well took some horrible bumps when he took the one off the ladder in the middle to the outside and then immediately... Uh, through the table from Spike. Both of those were really awkward landings and he's right back up and in there. I don't know, a lot of that's adrenaline. I really hope we, we, with more time remo- removed away from the show, we, we hear that, okay, everyone involved is, is okay as well as, as well as they can be, I suppose, after what they've all put their bodies through. I just don't know that I've seen in this podcast 
tag teams that have as much chemistry as these guys have. And we've had the free car crash matches now that are the, the picks of the bunch and spectacles and amazing, disgusting, athletic and sickening all in one package. But when these guys do get in there, whatever the combination is and just have tag matches and storyline driven matches, they're excellent as well. So let's transition to that. Moving away from this again, um, keep them apart. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and sort of not take that into account too much with my review of this show. Um, yeah, I thought this was one of the best matches I've ever covered. Um, and genuinely staggering how everyone seemingly was able to walk away in good stead. Chris, just a quick question. It's trivial by comparison, but Edge and Christian winning all three of these matches, does that surprise you? Because I actually called the Hardys to win this during our preview show. But as it was going on, I thought that they might give it to the Dudleys. And I know this is anecdotal, but the Dudleys seem to be the most popular team going these days. I mean, the bass player of a certain Welsh band who I mentioned once or twice on these shows <laughs> even referenced them during a live performance on Radio 1 a few weeks ago. Who's got wood? Who's got wood? And of course, that's to say nothing of one of our guests on this show. But Edge and Christian were the one team I thought were not going to win this, and they did. For me, that was a surprise. What I liked about it is that it's, it's kind of the, the one true Hill team acting like Hills and like they they won this match, but who's propping Christian up? And it's Rhino holding him up to win. And that Rhino dam- dynamic addition to this match made it maybe feel like something different. In my mind, I think if you were to just like take those three matches in a vacuum, if you if, if at all possible, I, I would say on paper, you, you don't want the same team winning all three um, just right off the bat. Um, as far as sort of the story goes, they were probably the team I would have called called least i'm not sure but i think any combination of these guys and whatever they do next is kind of like they'll make it work i just have the utmost faith in all nine people involved in this match um and and that they'll find a good storyline coming out of this the only thing that i i think would be slightly surprising about this more than anything is that there have been like the occasional murmur that they might split these guys off at some point. Um, and I don't know if this is kind of like maybe one last hurrah for edge and Christian. Cause I think they've got a hell of a lot more to give as a team, but maybe they do have edge in mind for bigger and better things as a singles guy. So is that where we're going? And you give them this moment because the the Hardys will get another and the Dudleys will get another because you shouldn't be splitting up either of those teams anytime soon. It could be that kind of thing. But for me, yeah, I'm not sure I'd have given it to Edge and Christian here. We cut to a look at Access again, both fans and superstars alike talking about how awesome the whole thing is before we head back to the ring um, for the announcement of a new Astrodome attendance record, 67,925 people. At this point, I'll throw over to Eric for our coverage of the next match. A slight change of pace. Yes, let's uh, lighten the mood a little bit with the uh, inaugural gimmick Battle Royal. Some notes on this match. Uh, rumors are everyone got 3000 bucks for this. 
some people who weren't in it. Uh, Gilbert was allegedly pulled from the show to avoid Goldberg chants. There's some more evidence for you, Chris and Rory and everybody else. Uh, Terry Taylor apparently declined. I wonder why he would uh, turn down an invitation. I also saw on the message boards, I didn't know if this was confirmed, but Corporal Kirshner was invited. But enough people complained that he was uninvited. Yeah, I'm ashamed to say I watched closely enough to see that his graphic was used a week or so before. Okay, and then George Gray was invited to be Akeem. Uh, but I, I also read that he'd lost too much weight for that costume, so he went as the one-man gang. So good for I, him. I think in 2001, I'd rather see him as one-man gang than Akeem anyway, so happy accident, maybe. Yeah, I like the gang. The, the gang's a super solid, underrated gimmick. Uh, so the the Fink announces uh, our guest play-by-play announcer, Mean Gene Okerlund, and the guest color analyst, Bobby Heenan, who gets a pretty good pop. Heyman calls him the Johnny Carson of sports entertainment. Uh, Gene says it's a pleasure, a pleasure to be there and plugs the uh, the attendance. And Heyman uh, Heenan is drinking this up. Heenan calls Gene Tony, which allows Gene to dig in. And the grin on Heenan. Did anybody notice the grin on Heenan's face when the Sheik's music hit? That made me smile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then some notes on the entrances. Uh, Heenan, uh, by the time the Iron Sheik gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. Uh, Howard Finkel announces... <clears throat> The Goon! I would say that Kamala gets a decent pop. Um, Michael Hayes uh, gets a pretty big pop. And before you all complain about Hayes, he should be in an old-timers match in Texas. He's about the only one left, after all. Um, regarding the gobbledygooker, Heenan to Gene, didn't she used to date her? Um, I've noticed that Hillbilly Jim doesn't age. And uh, as Doink makes his way to the ring, Bobby and Gene have an existential conversation on happiness. Um, And Sergeant Slaughter gets the final entrance, as he should. They show a video of Slaughter doing military exercises, and he quips, now he's shooting blanks. So, the participants for this match, the Bushwhackers, Luke and Butch, Duke Drosy, Doink the Clown, here is Ray, uh, Ray Apollo, Nikolai Volkov, Tugboat, The Goon, Earthquake, Gobbledygooker, Brother Love, Michael Hayes, One Man Gang, Kamala with Harvey Whippleman, Kim Chi, who is in the match, Jim Cornette, Repo Man, and Sergeant Slaughter. The bell sounds, and before it's done echoing through the walls of the Astrodome, the Repo Man has leapt to the floor. Gooker and Tugger are next. Earthquake threw out Tugboat, so don't say they don't book long term. Kamala (laughs) tosses Earthquake, who Gene calls John Tenta. WCW lives, fellas. Uh, I suspect that 70% of Okerlund and Heenan's commentary is inside, was inside jokes. Uh, Kamala tosses Kim Chi, and it's time for everyone to jump out of the pool. Cornette, a bushwhacker, Dumpster, Volkoff, the goon, the other bushwhacker, Doink, Hayes, One Man Gang, and Kamala are all out. The final four are Slaughter, Sheik, Hillbilly Jim, and yes, Brother Love. And for uh, American sports fans, Brother Love is definitely the 1986 LSU Tigers of this Final Four. And then, in a daisy chain of eliminations, Slaughter tosses out Love, so Jim is able to get Slaughter over, which opens Jim up to the Iron Sheik, who tosses Hillbilly Jim over to win the gimmick battle royal. After the bell, Slaughter locks in the camel clutch on Sheik to get his heat back. Slaughter then gently sets the Sheik down, and his music plays as Gene and Bobby send us out. Lacey. Oh my days. This, this, I, I loved it. It was the perfect cooldown after what we just had. 
um, you know, the you just had the Shane and Vince match into the TLC two. This was the perfect palate cleanser for going into the final two matches of the night. Just, just absolutely loved all the fucking nostalgia. You know, we knew it wasn't going to be a work rate classic. We knew half of these guys weren't going to do shit. We know that the only reason Sheiky Baby won is because he couldn't take the floor bump. Um, mean Gene and Brain were fucking amazing, and I really hope that they do something with them too. Um, obviously, not expecting them to be doing Raw and SmackDown, but like, if they've got time to kill and TV air to do a show with, give them something where they can like talk about old shit. I I will eat that up. Great to see my boy, the Freebird, in there coming down a bad street as well. Just the minute I started hearing that, I was like, yes. You know, I am a kid of the 80s. I watched late 80s, early 90s WWF. You know, this this was all all of the things that I fucking love straight to the veins. The only one that I looked at when you look really out of place was the dumpster, dude, the dumpster, because he never wore that an all black gear when he was in the ring as the Duke, the Dumps of Josie. So he just looked really weird, but yeah, no nostalgia fix. I am the right age for this. This is the right demographic. Just give me more of it. Yeah. If you had told me that, uh, you know, this was a, an over the top rope bumping clinic. Uh, I think every rope got, uh, got it's a workout tonight. And if you add in the honky tonk man spot at the Royal Rumble, it's been a really good year for old timers taking top rope bumps. Rory, to you. Yeah, I'm just going to go through my notes linearly here because I'm not going to try to put them together. They all very much speak for themselves. As I watch the show, these are the notes I made. One for the UK sports fans. Repo Man looks even more like Jimmy Greaves than Jimmy Greaves does these days. Gene, five years ago, he got my mother-in-law. Heenan, four years ago, everybody got your mother-in-law. Oh, welcome back, boys. <laughs> We get to hear Bad Street USA. Yay. Why is he the gobbledygooker and not the gobbledygooker? Why am I asking that question? Please tell me he is played by dear old Hector Guerrero again. It's for the kids, man. We get to hear Don't Go Messing With A Country Boy. Even bigger, yay. When Slaughter emerges, the director goes to a shot of the Confederate flag. Gene gets to say the Repo Man is history on air. And he also drops the word feud. That was banned from being uttered on TV back in the day. But if anybody can, Gene can. Cornette and Pritchard spent their entire time in the ring fighting each other. You just know they ensured that would happen. The crowd are not happy when Doink goes out. Resurrect the clown. Pritchard in the final four. You just know he ensured that would happen. We get to Katie bar the door from Gene. And can we please keep them on commentary for the next match? Because then I would enjoy it more. This was everything it needed to be. And perhaps even more importantly, succeeded in being everything it wanted to be. Wise man, couldn't have sent it better myself. Dan, to you. Yeah, I'll be honest. This isn't really the match for me because I have never heard of half these people. Um, apart from kind of like osmosis from from the guys who've been watching wrestling a lot longer than I have. How it is more of a curiosity for me, just looking at people like Brother Love and Repro Man and The Goon, who, yeah, either slipped my memory completely or... I've never heard of at all, you know, especially with Repo Man. Um, but yeah, 
this was a curiosity it definitely held my attention but it allowed my brain to have a break after the two heavy juicy matches that we just had before um as well as all the stuff with angle uh, and benoit as well so not for me definitely more for the guys who were who grew up in the hulkamania era but um i can't i have no complaints of it it was very very enjoyable to watch chris bring us home yeah perfect cool down after the last very heavy uh, last two very heavy matches um and ahead of the final two um full of nostalgia much like dan half of which goes over my head but even i have great appreciation for some of the uh brilliant commentary from gene and bobby um just so good yeah three minutes just um served every purpose possible um a genuinely brilliant idea and addition to the show to throw in the the top third of the card just to break up some of your bigger current matches um no complaints from me two thumbs up heenan and gene squabble as we throw to a match graphic for triple h and the undertaker so our next match sees triple h going against undertaker but we are viewed by the wonderful lemmy and greets us with we are motorhead we're going to kick your ass as they play a live version of Triple H's theme for him to come down to. Taker bombs down on his bike. Clearly, this giant rampway is perfect for him and opening up that bike instead of the, the usual raw ramps. Brawl from the outside, Triple H falls through at the makeshift Spanish announce table. Back into the ring and punches, Triple H hits a high knee. Taker with corner punches, backdrop, and a clothesline. Power slam, but misses an elbow drop. Trips with some punches. Taker hits a jumping clothesline and goes for old school, but that's blocked. Trips with a neck breaker, gets a two. Punches outside the ring with some elbows, back in with another neck breaker for a two again. He then shoves the ref. Taker hits some rapid punches. Trips with the face buster to the knee. Then goes gets the hammer, but the ref blocks it. Trips attempts the pedigree, but it's blocked and turned into a slingshot that hits the ref. Taker hits a chokeslam, gets a two. Taker then beats down the ref. Taker with a headbutt and they brawl to the outside and then all the way in the crowd up back to the audio rig where the card cam is. Taker with punches. And then they continue to climb further up the rig to the level of the hard cam. Triple H with a load of chair shots. Taker then hits uh, some punches and a choke slam off the platform. Follows that up with a diving elbow. Some EMTs come out to try and help Taker or to help Trips, but Taker shoves them away. They make their way back to the ring, brawling. Back in, Taker grabs the hammer, but Trips with a low blow. Taker then hits a big boot. They exchange punches. Trips tries to go for the tombstone, but it's reversed into one by Taker. But the ref is still out from his earlier beatdown, so no one to count. Taker goes for the last ride, but Trips has picked up the hammer and smashes it into Taker's head. That gets a two as the ref finally comes back around. Taker is busted open at this point. Taker then hits a last ride 
gets the win. Fun brawl into the crowd, what it needed to be. Rory, I know your uh, love for, for trips is, is well known. And your love for Taker is off the chart. What do you make of it? Oh, because you can see it dancing off the scale as we speak. <laughs> you just had to come to me first, didn't you? Had to come to me first. That said, this was pretty good. That might be all you're going to get out of me. So I suppose I'm going to have to try to develop my views best I can and try to maintain my usual air of impartiality when talking about these two. Mm-hmm. The timing was very oddly off on this match. And I don't know who is to blame for that, but somebody needs to own up and take it. Because you would think that a match involving these two and they're standing backstage, it would be seamless and everything would have been gone over a hundred thousand times. But this felt like it had been scrawled on the back of the box of matches five seconds before the match. The Mike here, a ref bump, there's no way that an Undertaker elbow could keep him down for that long, unless that's Mr. Callaway trying to make a statement. It probably was, but even so. The crowd brawling, the going to the gantry for the choke slam, which too much light was let in on Magic by with the second replay. Well, that wasn't their fault. I feel they were trying to make that something this match specifically required but and as good as the build-up for this one has been as we talked about last month i don't think it ever got to those heights to warrant that sort of thing and it felt like a very long it was only about 12 13 minutes but it felt like a very long 12 or 13 minutes until they got back to the ring and then it must be said they did pick it up one thing i'll forgot to mention i will because you know how much i love to credit him i did like that in the very early going triple h was going for covers off everything because that did play into what this feud is about he thinks he's beaten everybody undertaker politely reminds him he hasn't so he's trying to add him to the list as quickly as he can and get the hell out of dodge that was good the medium part horribly dragged for my liking but they did get back on track in the final three or four minutes and that was a glorious near fall with the last ride into the sledgehammer shot. Near falls are being used rather often these days, or in 20 minutes time, I discover I ain't seen nothing yet, but this one pitch perfect, just enough of a delay on the cover by Triple H, where you legitimately thought it could have gone either way. You think, yep, Undertaker might kick out of it, but you know what? That could just put him down. And I was, they got me on the edge of my seat. I'm normally far gone from the edge of my seat when these two are in the ring. So we're making progress. Finish. What you're going to do? Not go for 10 punches when The Undertaker's new finisher is a powerbomb. But eh, they had to get out of there somehow. A spirited enough brawl, probably in the right place on the card. But it felt rather mismatched from the feud leading up to it. And it seemed oddly unfinished. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed this match, I think, a tad more than Rory, um, just because I think my standards and my expectations for Undertaker matches at this stage are just so low. Like, I can't remember the last time he had a match as good as this. Um, And they've been really bad for quite a while. Um, And I think they kind of, like, 
kept it relatively simple and as i kind of alluded to earlier in the show there's just a lot of variety like we have the outstanding wrestling match we have the sports entertainment match we have the the car crash of tlc and we've got a main event to come so so what kind of match do you want to work here i don't think you want to work the standard wwf main event style i i i, I, I certainly think you want to try and differentiate it at least from what's to follow um and I think they did that quite well, especially with the hindsight of having seen what followed. I I I don't think we got a lot of like overlap of of style really, despite them in in a match that had no stipulation, having like a 11 minute ref bump and brawling all over the in the crowd and whatnot. Yeah, I I think again this had good moments in it and particularly as Rory mentioned that near fall with the um, sledgehammer shot from the last ride, I think will live long in my mind as one of the best near falls that I've seen in a long, long time. And I think a large part of that, just massive credit to triple H for selling it so well. And the absolute like heartbreak of the undertaker kicking out of that pin. And that moment to me looked to finish 10 times out of 10 like it did not look like a near fall nothing about it felt like a near fall they had me hook line and sinker there and then as, as soon as that was a near fall and uh it should be noted no pedigree in this match because uh oh hunter doesn't want anyone kicking out of that too often mm-hmm. um as I'm soon as somebody else mentioned that yeah (laughs) well as soon as that happened it was like okay so the undertaker's winning but as rory mentioned to me on the preview for this the undertaker undefeated at wrestlemania wasn't too aware of that and maybe that's something they are aware of and want to keep intact because i think there's there's potentially some mileage in that each year but (laughs) to me jr did mention he was he it was nine nine wins yeah, in a n- row. Yeah, nine and oh now. So now they've mentioned it, they've alluded to it. I feel like next year, whatever the Undertaker's up to, looking for that ten and oh will be a story. So they've preserved something there and entertained me in the process. And uh so I think for where this is on the card and for what I needed from it, pleasantly surprised. Mr. Welling? Very much in alignment with uh, Chris White on the fact that this match kind of needs to be this for the overall structure of the show. We've not had a, a good crowd brawl in, in quite a long time with The Undertaker. I, I recall in 99, we got a lot of mediocre to bad crowd brawl matches with Taker. And we always assumed that was because he just can't do it. But I think the stuff with the, the scaffolding and whoever's idea was that deserves us some credit because it definitely drew some focus to that section of the match where normally that is a very much a drifting kind of, OK, let's just wait for them to get back to something and do some stuff. And But the fact that when you see Triple H get choked sound and he just drops and you have no idea how high the camera angle is and that does feel like a like a ridiculously impactful moment and then you see that it oh triple h has just landed on a bit of padding about six foot behind which was a little bit unflattering for that's what that spot deserved so 
and then yeah the, the referee being out for what seemed like 10 minutes from an elbow drop did take us out of the match quite a bit um so there's too many kind of big blind spots for me to give a total thumbs up like i did for for angle and benoit um but yeah overall i think these guys did have a a very good match and i would still probably give the majority of that props to triple h because he's just look let's just look at the form table here of what that man's done for the last 15 months what he did last month and then look at what the undertaker's been up to so if Hunter can get this good match out of Biker Taker, who's just been checked out for the last nine months now, then, yeah, all power to us, because we need to get a big face to that to this upper level of the card, considering what happens after this match. So Undertaker winning was probably the right thing to do as well, and we have got a, a very good crowd brawling match out of it. And also, just bear in mind as well, Taker's from Texas, give the home crowd a massive win which is always a which is always a plus in my opinion as well just because it gives the show a bit of bit of a life boost which is you know it's definitely not something you want going into your main event of your biggest wrestlemania in in almost 10 years and last but not least eric take us home you know for two guys that we all pan on this show we sure like to hand out the hardware to them i mean what do we give Triple H MVP or at least Worker of the Year for 2000? Yeah, Worker each of, of the these, Year. Yeah. E- each of these guys has won our Match of the Year in different years. Uh, I mean, these guys are not, you know, backyard wrestlers. These guys are professionals, top-of-the-line WWF-style workers. And as much as we malign them at times, Undertaker particularly, um, I think this was – I, I really enjoyed this match. I can't believe it took me to mention Motorhead, like – that was incredible. That's one of the best entrances I've ever seen at WrestleMania. And it completely set the tone for this match. That, yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention that in my notes. Yeah, that was yeah. a real highlight. And I it, forgot it, too, in the same way that Lemmy did 80% of the words. Well, I, I think it's Motorhead... His song, it doesn't need to know the words. I think Lemmy could read Shel Silverstein lyrics, and as long as it's Motorhead, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Like... That, that, to me, set the tone for this match being a semi-main event match at WrestleMania because I've been a little bit tepid on these guys, and I understand they're top-of-the-card guys, but and this was well-built, but like when you get Motorhead playing live for Triple H and it looks cool and it sounds great, lyrics notwithstanding, um, that, to me, I was like ready for this. And then these two came out and just clubbed the ever-loving shit out of each other for 20 minutes, brawled around the building, which allows them to get a long match out of The Undertaker without kind of exposing his limitations in the ring. They didn't do it at all. I, uh, other than the, the the hardcore match, there was no real crowd brawling on this show other than this, so they saved it up, so it made sense. There was no other interference in this match, which I think you probably wouldn't have won money on had you bet, uh, bet that. And I just thought these guys came together and they pulled off again, and it's kind of the theme of the night, probably the best thing they could have pulled together for the spot they were in. Um, I really enjoyed this and I thought it was worthy. I thought by the end of it, I was convinced that it was worthy of its lofty spot on this card. Yeah, it's it's definitely that one that you can see why this was the, the co-main, you know, this, this is the, the bit too big names going into it. And as, as obviously we've said there, the, the grandeur is built by the fact of having Motorhead come out, you know, 
Lemmy absolutely smashing it musically, as we say, lyrically. Doesn't matter if he doesn't know the words, it's not his song, so he doesn't really care. Um, it, it works, and, you know, it gives both of them that mania moment, which I know is, is a, a thing they sort of like to say about the, you know, the big show. But it it made what could have been a generic pay-per-view match a WrestleMania match. And uh, after that, we got the build-up and a wonderful package for the main event of Austin and Rock to the dulcet tones of Limp Biscuit. Here we are. Here we are. And yes, that video package, like all of them, was monumentally brilliant. Their hit rate for all of these, including all of the updated ones, has been utterly faultless. I am barely exaggerating when I say I would gladly sit down and watch all of them start to finish. And of course, this line gets in there. I need to beat you, Rock. I need it more than you could ever imagine. Oh, fucking K. Fink is about to introduce the combatant, but before doing so, states that this match will be no disqualification. JR asks when that was added, as well he might. Hmm. The glass smashes and so does the roof. Stone me, is this man over? They'd have to be completely potty to do anything to try and mess with that. And a great close-up shot of Austin resting on the turnbuckles, and it's all in his eyes. Masterful. Rock is out next, and he gets a reaction that I think we call mixed in this game. He has his fans here, no doubt, but they are more than likely out-of-towners. So, no disqualification match for the WWF title. We have arrived. The Rock defending against Stone Cold Steve Austin. To paraphrase the immortal words of Tony Blair, this is not the time for sound bites but I feel the hand of history upon my shoulder. Bell goes and we are off. They waste no time exchanging fists, but even that statement from me doesn't even come close to covering the intensity they display in the first seconds. And the Des Press has never looked tougher either. Both men want this. Swinging neckbreaker by Rock and the reaction just got slightly less mixed. They both go for a stunner, but Austin gets the counter required to send him outside and we take a very brief breather. Big punch by Stone Cold and into the crowd we go. And unlike so many matches where this happens, it feels like it has to. Because a ring alone simply cannot contain competitors who are this hungry for the big prize. Austin's head meets the announce table, but he then clotheslines Rock to the ground. Back in and Austin with some hard stomps to the cranium. My own heart rate is increasing just typing this stuff. Every single pair of eyes is trained upon the ring. Austin goes for a superplex and does he ever get it? Amazing selling from Rock on that one, by the way. And there is our first near fall worthy of the name. I'm not expecting it to be the last. The turnbuckle gets exposed, but Rock explodes with a diving clothesline as only he can. A Greco-Roman throw for a two. The crowd do not appreciate his efforts. He tries his luck with them after clotheslining Steve out, but he needn't have bothered. A trip to the timekeeper's table follows and Stone Cold responds with the ring bell. The Rock is lacerated as a result, as a very juicy close-up shot proves. A couple more table shots follow, and one actually collapses under Rock's weight. See, even the accidents are with them here. 
They're living a charmed life out there, but they fully deserve such a great reward. Austin with the fists and the crowd are at Coliseum mask levels here. And no, I don't mean Nashville. Boos for the Brahma Bull as he tries to rally, but Stone Cold quells that with a swinging neck breaker for a count of two. Stomps in the corner from the Rattlesnake as we've hit a minor, but probably earned lol. And almost certainly needed. Steve grinds the knee into the Great One's face, but the champ then unloads with a flying fist. Don't even try to call this reaction mixed ironically now, by the way. Big punches by Rock, and now Austin meets the steel. Rocky grabs the belt and stalks his prey, and then wipes Austin down with it. The blood is pouring all over Austin's pate, but he's still breathing, so you know any cover will only get a two. More rights by the Rock, and he is the only thing holding Austin up. I love how Stone Cold actually uses the ropes there, like a former prize fighter who just refuses to give it up, but there's nothing former about this character yet. Out to the apron for some measured shots to the chest. This match is now so far beyond captivating that even Roger himself would struggle to describe it. You know he was watching. Austin fights out and now has the rock down and catapults him right into the ring post. They're using entry-level building blocks, but they're creating the second Taj Mahal with them. No fucking around with a shot to the head with the monitor. And remember this line from JR. How do you call it assault when there is no disqualification? Well, quite. Back in for a count of two. They slowly get to their feet and Austin tells Rock he is number one, but gets worked down into a sharpshooter. Note my use of the indefinite rather than definite article there, but it doesn't matter. Everybody is wrapped at the perilous thought of Austin not getting to the ropes, but he does. Oh, this stuff is more off the charts than a Bross comeback single. Austin gets his own sharpshooter on and we do the reverse. The challenger is actually barely even holding onto his leg at this point. But after 20 minutes of this, you'd be struggling too. So button it, Smelter. Um, and uh... Rock's Dickensian crawl to the ropes is something to behold. Austin only breaks the hold after giving Hebner the fingers of fun. And this match is more than enough to give your kids a treat. Thank you. And he's only put on the fucking million dollar dream. Oh my days. The champ is close to fading, but he kicks off the ropes. And we know how this story ends, don't we? Oh no, new chapter alert. Stone Cold is out just before three. And I do mean just another incredible near four. So yeah, this match is all right, isn't it? And I typed that before Rock gets a stunner to Austin. Delayed cover, very nice. Means we only get a two. And now Vince McMahon is here. Why is that, Paul? The man has a billion dollar investment in the outcome of this match. McMahon is coming out here simply to see the conclusion of this title match. Huh, works for me. Spinebuster by Austin for another swift two, and then Rock does his own version. This is Warrior Hogan to the double, triple, quadruple, anything Oople max. The elbow pad comes off, and there it is. One, two, wait, what? Vince just pulled the rock off Austin. The champ drops the MF bomb, and he's right to. He then chases Vince around the ring, but back into it, Stone Cold meets him with his own take on the rock bottom. One, two, no, not yet. And the crowd were there for it as well. Instead, we get a stunner blocked by the rock, and on the rebound, Hebner gets knocked to the outside, leading to a diabolical low blow by Steve. And so you just asked Vince to... Get him a chair. Get one yourself, you lazy get. You usually do. Oh, no. I see it. And eventually the people in attendance do as well. So I guess we are really doing this. 
Rock gets nailed by Vince with the chair. But after dumping the ref back in, that only gets a two as well. Vince gives us the bobbing Adam's apple of fear. Thanks for that one, Mick. And Rock gives Austin a rock bottom. But BKM is on the apron and now is hurled into the ring instead. The champion lays the smackdown on the owner, but Austin is in with the stunner. Super Rock Cell. Cover. Give it to me. One. Two. Oh, get out of here. Vince hands Austin the chair again. And on this occasion, a shot to the head will do it. Oh, no, it bloody won't. What am I watching? McMahon and Austin give each other the look. And now Austin just beats the ever-hating plasma out of Rock. He nails him over and 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 over 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 before as you've just heard finally getting the completely academic cover the three count the crowning of the new champion and the handshake the fucking handshake austin and vince austin and bloody vince guys 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 you've got it all wrong you have to do it before noon otherwise you're the fool everybody knows that ah oh, dear jr goes into full-on grade a betrayed buddy mode what the hell this son of a bitch that he's drinking a damn beer with mcmahon there why steve why this way here the Heyman answers him that's what a rattlesnake would do oh my and oh yours eric I think you're right to mention the spectacle of this match. And I think it's clear that this match felt big and was worked big and lived up to the hype in, in, in almost every way. I think we can clearly put this on the pantheon of WrestleMania spectacles with Hogan, Andre and Hogan warrior. And I think it fits comfortably there and probably is definitely, I think it, yeah, I, I think it's second only to Hogan Andre and maybe even Eclipse that, which I never thought that I would see in my life. So that's what we're talking about here. And it feels incredible uh, to have seen that and watched that uh, and to know that, you know, we're watching something that's definitely historical. The match itself, it wasn't perfect, but it lived up to its hype. Both guys worked their asses off. Uh, I, I just have to say that that rock shooter is just absolute garbage hold he should just stop doing it but that's a minor complaint and like the million dollar dream in big matches you go to depths that you don't always have to go to and you know it's a big match when austin uses the million dollar dream and i just think that these guys had so much pressure on them and so much hype put into this and they nailed it they absolutely nailed it as far as living up to that big match feel there was nothing here that felt like it was underplayed, underdelivered, undervalued. I think to the gargantuan 67,000, you know, people-sized elephant in the room, we have an Austin heel turn 
and the death of WCW in the same week, the latter of which, or the former of which, is called by the owner of ECW. So this, nothing is the same anymore as it was just a short time ago. It's risky. Uh, I don't know that I would have done it. I don't know that even if it had been the plan going in, certainly it was, once I heard that pop and once I heard how not, and again, we're in Texas, so if we were in Miami, it may have been different and Chicago different still. But like, I don't know how you hear that pop for that man in a building of this size filled with that many people and not just say, OK, no, Vince comes out. They do the thing. But then Austin stuns Vince and Heyman delivers the same line to close the show. Austin gets the belt. It seeds some confusion, but we don't have this just outright unexplained heel turn or poorly explained heel turn. I hope that they have a six-month plan for this. I hope that this is part of some grander design to integrate WCW and the influx of talent they'll have there. I don't know that the two are related. Uh, It's kind of tough to see that picture now. But there's a lot of things kind of converging at the same time, and now it's on the WWF to – they've almost put – they've almost artificially created more pressure on them than they already had by doing a move this risky. And so now they have to deliver. I think the other thing that's risky about this that I, I, I'm i sure they've considered, I would hope, either way, once you take this step, it's going to be very hard to get that amount of heat back on Austin, to get that pop again. Um, if he really is aligned with Vince here, that is going to take some doing in order to get him back to that level. I definitely think something of this magnitude, it's too early to judge and too early to assign value to it, but I am concerned at the level of risk that this move involves, and I hope that they prove me wrong. Otherwise, it's going to be a rocky, uh, you know, fallout from from this momentous match and shocking conclusion. Chris White, I bet you're feeling rather smug right now. I was so close. I was so <laughs> close. I'm prepared to give it to you. <laughs> look it, it's not what i had in mind but this is better um okay two two parts to this the the match for me this is the best wrestlemania main event i've ever seen um and that is personal to me it's the best wrestlemania main event we've covered on this podcast it's probably the best main event to any show we've covered on this podcast the spectacle the scope of it if you were booking the Monday Night Wars as like some omnipotent sort of like benefactor who secretly pulled the strings for WWF and WCW in the background, you couldn't have written an outcome to it better than like one of them going away like six days before the biggest show in the other's history, like in modern history. Like you couldn't you couldn't do that. And all paths crossed in the best possible way for the WWF here. And I mean, that really leads into the finish, um, which I want to keep to one side still for a second. I I think what we have here is a case of two guys at their absolute best on their absolute best night, meeting each other at the same time. Um, I've seen both of these have brilliant matches with each other and other people across the last few years. 
I don't think I've seen either of them have a match this good with anyone else ever. And that isn't to say, I, I don't know. I mean, it's all fresh and it's all emotional. I, I've said that out loud and then I immediately think, oh, Bret Hart and Austin. And then I think, oh, well, is this better? Then I think, well, probably not. But like, it's the spectacle of the moment that that maybe makes me feel like that. And And I think Austin was better in this match than Austin was in that match, if that's maybe a fair way to sort of compile my thoughts i think it exceeded all of my expectations and considering the hype this match has had in my mind for the last five months and on tv for the last six weeks or so um i didn't think that was possible um and then we get to that finish and what i think is uh, one of the riskiest booking decisions the WWF will have ever made um, in terms of what they could be losing here, but also what I think is a risk worth taking in the wider perspective of the wrestling business. I don't think they do this if WCW gets bought a month ago and someone keeps that company going. You're not going to turn Stone Cold Steve Austin and potentially throw away what you've got and as eric said this pop this crowd this many people in this building cheering that guy as unanimously as they were you don't throw that away when you've got a competitor hypothetically not that they've been there for a while but snapping at your heels doing everything they can to knock you down a peg and overtake you you don't do that if there's someone in that position because you just don't take that risk with someone like stone cold steve austin but with them gone and with you now owning that property, you can do it. And I think this will have major ramifications for the integration of whatever they do with WCW into the WWF. It all just makes sense in a way that none of it felt like it could possibly do until it happened. Vince, desperate, beaten and humiliated by his family and his mistress and Mick Foley. And Austin will do anything because he needs to win that belt. And you have these two arch nemesises that are both maybe at their looking down the barrel of their lowest possible point. The storyline is that Shane McMahon has bought WCW. And on that simulcast, he said he was going to make sure they kick the WWF's ass again. Then he beat. Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. The storyline, whether I mean the storyline that we're being told and what we've been presented is that Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, is at his lowest right now. His son has stolen that company out from under him just when he thought he defeated his biggest competition. His son has beat him at WrestleMania, and his son has said that that company is coming for him again. Stone Cold Steve Austin has had a load of time off with injuries and he's not been able to regain that WWF championship. And he said he needs to beat the rock. Those two scenarios result in the deal with the devil. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Vince McMahon guaranteeing that he can make him the champion again. He can deliver that. And the incentive there for Vince is that he has an ally in Stone Cold Steve Austin for when WCW comes for him. All of this is just like so crazy and meta and unpredictable. And (laughs) you run 
the, two, the year 2001 in professional wrestling as a simulation like 10 times over and none of them end up this way because all the dominoes don't fall exactly as they should and we don't end up with this outcome but there was an opportunity here and turning Austin is a risk but I think in the situation they're in now it's the smallest possible risk that it could ever be and we know that they've toyed with this idea over the last 18 months a year to 18 months while Austin was out we know they were thinking about bringing them back as a heel they didn't do it and I bet when the fate of WCW unfolded and they were able to get that storyline with Shane and 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 they had this Vince McMahon storyline and they could blend it all together at the end of one of the biggest shows in the modern history of your company it's too big an opportunity to miss you can't as Eric says grade any value to the if this is the right or wrong decision it's far too early and only a lot of time and a lot of hindsight will tell us how the WWF and Stone Cold Steve Austin fare from this point but for me on night one full marks 10 out of 10 couldn't be better Dan one of the biggest matches we've ever seen one of the most shocking heel turns we've ever seen that'll do or will it just first off like your play your play by play Rory and Chris White's analysis there I think has matched or at least attempt very got very close to matching this match um just round of applause to both of you high praise what, indeed <laughs> what you've done there is exceptional for Chris White just making sense of the heel turn from a business perspective yeah uh fair play fair play Chris uh, because yeah I'm going to look at it more from a character Steve Austin has wanted to turn heel since he came back it's about him being just lost a little bit when he was fighting for Kishi in that initial run with trips in the latter half of the year and you know Austin is one of those wrestlers who has, is one of those guys who just wants to be the best performer and character and just all-round actor he can be and if he's not on it he really is not on it and it's it's such a it's such a kind of bipolar kind of spectrum with him where if he's not invested in his character you don't you don't get that same person um this isn't like someone like eddie guerrero who can just give his all no matter what he can and even someone like the rock who even when he was douchebag heel with the nation and the corporation or beloved babyface for last year you know he's kind of giving it all you need an invested policy boston to get great television and if turning him heel is how we keep that then i will tentatively back it and i guess this is also the ultimate test of how popular the rock is we spent all of 2000 saying that we haven't missed over austin because we've got the rock we don't need you know we've got two a-class drawing powers here now that we have lost one in austin let's see what the rock can do to keep the fans that are going to migrate from wcw and potentially will flock to wwf to keep these these restless wrestling you know um popularity bubble going um and i truly hope that people watch this match and have got the ability to watch this match i thought this was utterly sensational there's nothing like watching a big fight feel in any sort of combat sport mano a mano 
where you know these guys are at the peak of their powers and they're going to give it all. And I thought this is easily The Rock's best ever match. I thought he was tremendous in this match. And Austin, I, I think this is probably his best performance as well. Um, his his just his character work in this match is just sensational. His facial expressions are the best I've ever seen him. He wrestled as a heel, but but it was it was subtly vicious enough that, but in hindsight, you can you know that he was already a heel, but in the match itself, you're just thinking that this is just normal Steve Austin up in his up in his game. The kickouts I thought were believable to a point. I know where we don't particularly like having finisher spamming on this show. We want to have moves protected, but if any time you can kick out of a stunner, it's at the biggest main event of, in WrestleMania since on Hogan Andre on both sides of the front. And yeah, and you, as you've mentioned before, the crowd just were hanging on every single word and they were not taking their eyes off this. And it's a very, very rare occurrence that you can ever say that about any wrestling match. This just felt like the biggest crowning achievement of, of the WWS programming for the last 12 months since that debacle last year at WrestleMania 16. To have two men give this level of A-class performance was just a joy to watch. And I thought this was probably the most dramatic match I've ever watched in my life. That was for a WWF main event title. This was... If I want to make people watch how good wrestling can be with two top-level talents, this is it. Because um, you can get, you can show them work rate, you can show them brawling, you can show them sports entertainment. But if you want to know what wrestling is when it's good, it's this, including the heel turn. Lacey, you've got the button for the last hundred meters. Give us that sprint. Finish first. So. <clears throat> You've all pretty much said all the superlatives about this. Um, it was the perfect match that it needed to be and with everything that it should have been. But with what everyone said, and obviously been doing review, I was thinking back to that promo of I will do anything to win that belt. I need to have that belt. You look at how Austin looked at the beginning of it. He wasn't his usual badass sort of style he looked should we say a bit more intense a bit more on top of what he wanted to do so looking back at it just just sort of whilst we've all been talking about it I'm not surprised by the Austin turn it makes sense and it's storytelling he's he's told us he will do anything to get the belt back. Doing a deal with the devil is doing anything. His biggest enemy, the bane of his existence, he has had to shake hands with him to make sure he wins that belt back. It's It's been there and it's been in front of our faces, but none of us have sort of got, oh, fuck. And, yeah, you know, with the pop that he got when he came out, could he have stunned Vince after the fact and, you know, gone out still as the big babyface but had done, you know, used used Vince for his own devices? Yeah. Would it have worked? Yeah. But I'm now intrigued 
if obviously he's done this to win the belt, what's he going to do next to keep the belt? You know, I am I am now very intrigued in this this Austin heel turn. Obviously, we know Rock's going to be disappearing because he's off to do a film. Um, so obviously, this isn't going to have an instant comeback. There's I don't I'm not sure if Rock's going straight after this or whether he'll be around for a month then off. But I want to see just how devious and how desperate this heel Austin is going to be. As I but as for the match itself, I can't say more than what you lot have all said. It, you, you've all said everything that needs to be said about it. But yeah, as I said, the uh, the heel turns the, the bit that I'm like, hmm, let's see what happens here. What a fascinating run of responses, gentlemen. You've run the absolute gamut there. That's why I pick you. Let's just say that. My thoughts on this match alone, I almost don't really need to describe them with any great level of elucidation. It is nearly 7am here in the UK. Even I have my limits. When the bell rings and you have the throwdown to end all throwdowns, you have thousands upon thousands of flash bulbs going off. This might as well have been Manila over 20 years ago. The biggest of big fight feels in a staged, worked, manufactured, scripted environment. And in that moment, and for those 25 minutes, those 67,000 fans, the millions watching worldwide, this felt like the final culmination. This was the denouement, the last chapter. But we've been building up to this for the last three and a bit years. And it had to finish with Stone Cold Steve Austin going for the WWF title against The Rock in Houston. It is so perfect. You really can sit down with a pen and write this stuff. And that is the highest compliment I can give it. They missed steps in this match. It was a little bit wonky. It wasn't watertight. But if you're going all out for the WWF title and your hands are sweaty and your arms are trembling and your eyes are going and you're not all that lucid and your feet feel like they're going to wobble, then you're going to make mistakes. If your opponent is just 1% further in the game than you are, that's it. Lights out. And your chance might well have gone. That played into every minute of the match. And as Lacey perfectly put on board just now, it played into the Austin turn. We talk a lot about heel turns not being explained. And I do still think there's work to do on this one. They can't just let it roll. Austin comes out with Vince tomorrow. Yeah, the heel turn's done. Hunky dory. Let's boo Stone Cold now. Still work to be done, but they did a hell of a lot of it here. 
this was a match for the WWF title, about the WWF title, built around the WWF title, with the challenger will do anything to win the WWF title. And if that means shaking hands with Vince McMahon at the end of the match, then mortal enemy or not, is that really a massive price to pay? I do, because I'm not going to get many other chances to say it. I do have a couple of operational quibbles with the heel turn. Vince looked like a bit of a lemon for the three or four minutes he was in there. And the final thing Austin did was whack rock a million, billion, zillion times with a chair while he's prone on the ground. Well, he did that to Triple H last month and everybody loved him for it. The present company very much included. But I think it's in place. And I don't think, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I don't think this was hurriedly decided on the night of the show. I do realise that us on this programme and our zillions of listeners, thank you, know the score on the ball. So we've been talking about the possibility of an Austin heel turn, as mentioned in the sheets, ever since he came back. How many of the 67,000 in the Astrodome or people watching on pay-per-view around the world include themselves in that number? Negligible. I would say the Houston crowd weren't ready for the turn, which is why they cheered it as Vince turning face for goodness sake. But I'm all right with that now as bold as this move was. And I am more than happy in a month's time when I'm on the April show to completely contradict what I'm saying here. They could have waited a day. Maybe you have Vince's role a little more nefarious, but not quite so obvious. Whose side is he on? He gets on the apron once or twice. Maybe Heyman picks it up on commentary. And then you do the big turn on Raw the next day. Yes, you could have done it this way. But as we always say, the line between bravery and stupidity is a very, very, very small one. This might, therefore end up to be the latter but right now it is definitely the former and because of that they've already put a lot of credit in the bank to roll ahead with it sensational to use dan's word main event the greatest brawl style main event we have seen there was a lot of competition before that it's blown it out of the water with the scene with the scenario with the people involved with the execution with the importance with the capital letters and exclamation marks are used in my notes. And not only do we have that, we have got, along with the purchase of WCW, something we will be talking about on this show for many, many months, maybe years to come. And how fitting is it that we come to the end of our recording with Steve Austin having been a heel for exactly three hours and 16 minutes? We don't just throw these shows together, everybody. Chris Lacey, if at all possible, sum up the previous three hours of discussion of the previous three hours of WrestleMania 17. Give us your collective thoughts and then the big one, the score rating out of 10. So this is easily one of the best manias um, that we've ever had. Um, it's it lives up to the hype of WrestleMania, the event. Um, yeah, you know, as as I said, you know, you could got rid of Eddie and 
test and got rid of the APA RCC match and you know, but none of them stick around for long enough to really do any damage to the show as a whole. Um, you know, it was perfect time to go grab another beer. This has had everything. We've had a wrestling clinic. We've had massive car crash spots. We've had possibly the best taker match since he's come back. We had the nostalgia hit with the gimmick battle royal. We had the most sports entertainment, sports entertainment moment that I think we will ever get and will never be beaten. And we had a fun hardcore match. You know, I really enjoyed that. So, you know, as a show, especially when you sit up till seven o'clock in the morning to watch it, they can drag. This did not drag. I was in, I was up, and I was ready for all of it. And as I said, it has left me intrigued with what happens next with Austin. You know, it, I know they say that Mania is the end of the year. You know, it's that it's their season finale as such, because obviously everything runs to Mania and then you go out of it. And they have got me wanting to watch Raw tomorrow night, which you can't always say that you have that, that intrigue that you want to know what's going to happen now. So it's done its job. It was well worth the staying up. And as I said, easily one of, one of, if not the best mania of all time so far, you know, from manias from now on, this is the bar to be. And I know obviously so far this year, we've given, the Rumble, a big one. No Way Out got a big one too. But even those, it's been beat. Mania gets the 10. There it is. Dan Welling, where are we going? This felt like the first WrestleMania since 8, which felt like it should be WrestleMania. Like it was... It was noticeably better presented than the last you know since wrestlemania 10 at least with, with when it was an msg look at this arena look at how it's presented it feels so much more grand than anything that's come before in the last three years and wrestling has seen so many more new people watch watch it than 10 years um and definitely since you know the that since like say compared to nineteen ninety five, for example, with people who didn't watch Hulkamania and the NWA, we've got a new set of fans that are watching this and for the first time this felt like the biggest WrestleMania and my God it delivered. This this is easily the best show of that WrestleMania has been since WrestleMania three. In my opinion it's had the best main event ever. Hogan Andre had the moment but this was the match. And then you add in TLC too. Then you add in the soap opera spectacle of Shane versus Vince. You add in the nostalgia with the Gimme Battle Royal. You add in Motorhead. You add in Taker riding his bike down the down the the that huge ramp. And the moment that will be talked about for years with the biggest star in wrestling turning heel, but and the lightning with his greatest enemy. Like this is this is probably the most historic show I can think of, um, at least since Bash of the Beach '96. 
And in terms of in-ring wrestling, this this show blew that show out the water. Kind of like Royal Rumble 2001, there are there are a couple of moments on this show which I don't agree with and I don't particularly like. China Ivory, for example, some of the decisions they made with 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 Trish in the in the soap opera match. Uh, the, the ridiculousness of the referee being knocked out for 10 minutes in the Undertaker Triple H match, but ultimately these are little minor quibbles. And like, like you have four great, genuinely great matches, and nothing that's offensively bad on it. Like, how can you not score this show 10 out of 10? Let's make this one a bit interesting. Eric Landstrom. Yeah, I'm feeling a little bit of peer pressure here. Um, I your score. I effectively agree with everything uh, that has been said about this show thus far. And I think that somehow even this show lives up to beyond to be beyond more than the sum of its parts when we look through it, because a lot of these matches had a lot of problems. Jericho Regal, uh, the six man um, was kind of too short to, to matter. Uh, China Ivory, again, too short to matter, so nothing really offensive there. But there were some really questionable things that happened throughout the night that we discussed. And I thought that the hardcore match and the Eddie Test match was kind of a 35-minute dip on this show that, I don't know, it's really hard for me to say this is a perfect show, which would denote a 10 out of 10. But then, of course, that's all on the undercard because we get to things like Triple H, uh, Undertaker, which completely exceeded expectations. TLC, which was an absolute spectacle that I'm certain we'll be seeing highlights of for years and years to come. Uh, But I had issues with that match, like like we discussed in matches like that too. So that's something that's tough for me to weigh. I think Benoit Angle is about the best wrestling match that we've had since 1994. And then the main event. Um... Just an incredible match that lived up to the hype, lived up to the spectacle. And really, aren't these matches all about the main event? Uh, or These cards are all about the main event matches. Um, we've seen it many times. These one-match WrestleManias, like WrestleMania 6, that have such fond... Um, people have such fond recollections of. But when you go back and watch it, it was 10 squash matches, a mixed tag, and that main event. And this card certainly had more than that going for it. Um, I expressed my hesitation with how they finished because unlike, I think, everybody else, I don't have the optimism that heel Austin is the way to go, or at least if it's not heel Austin, an Austin-McMahon alliance. For everything that Chris White said, and it makes so much sense, too much sense from a booking perspective, from a storyline perspective, but Austin is the golden goose, and you don't kill that until it needs to be put down there was a lot of steam left. I am really struggling because I really want to give the show a 10 out of 10, but I don't have the optimism that the finish could be what it is, and I think it really is going to detract from my score. I really want it to. So I think what I'm going to do, Rory, is I am going to give the show a provisional 10 out of 10, <laughs> but I'm going to say that if they fuck this up, I want to come back on the show whenever that's um, – Whenever that is, if that happens, to revise the score. Consider it done. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the best pay-per-view I've ever seen. All the metrics I would normally go to for grading a pay-per-view, match quality, that one's pretty self-evident. We've got the Kurt Benoit match, 
um, outstanding wrestling, Shane V. Vince, which is outstanding sports entertainment. TLC 2 is an outstanding car crash. Taker V. Hunter is a, a, a good brawl with some outstanding moments. And then Rock V. Austin, which for me is the probably the best main event in WrestleMania history. And that's a no-brainer. Memorability, how am I going to remember this show? I'll remember the near countless moments that they gave us throughout the card and just things like the spot with Jeff Hardy taking the spear, um, Linda standing up, um, the near fall in Taker Hunter, and that's before you even touch on the main event. And all of those have other bits in there. And that closing shot near enough of Austin and McMahon shaking hands. I'll remember that forever. Historical significance is damn near the biggest WWF pay-per-view I've covered for this show. Booking decisions, not necessarily if I agree with them, but are they logical? And I can apply logic, my own logic, for now, on day one at least, to every single thing that I saw on this show. The overall presentation, like... This felt like a big show, and as has already been pointed out, like the last few WrestleManias that are just in any arena that any other WWF pay-per-view could be on, you knew this was a WrestleMania from the moment you sat in your chair to watch it. The overall entertainment and kind of like the pacing of the show laid out perfectly in my mind because we had a slow start, but this would not have been a better show had we put TLC earlier and then giving me I don't know, the the APA six-man tag a bit later. Like, they they got this right. There was some filler on here. Not every match is perfect, but the filler is well-placed. The, the show progresses smoothly and builds to the ultimate crescendo. It's a 10 out of 10. There's no other score I can give this show. I am going to keep this one very brief and very simple. Well, by my standards anyway, because it is now 7 a.m. here in the UK. I've got to go to work in half an hour and I feel I might have a bit of explaining to do while I get there. I'm not sure how understanding my boss will be. So if the first hour of this show was the conductor tapping on the table, the remaining two and a half hours were the orchestra playing the symphony. This is... 100% as close to a perfect pro wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, show you could ever realistically hope to get. Other than possibly the main event, Vince Shane as well, perhaps. You're not getting the perfect example of that form of match, but when you put what you do have together, it is far, far greater than the sum of its already pretty damn impressive parts. This show, much like the main event, has been coming for at least the last three and a half years, possibly even for the last 14 years. Vince McMahon did it then, and incredibly perhaps, He has done it again, and he has outdone it with our first ever across the board and entirely deserved 10 out of 10 pay-per-view. 
Now, somebody get me a Nescafe. And we are back in the present day after a three-hour WrestleMania 17 review. Full disclosure, it's actually only 20 to 10 here in the UK as we record this. In the evening, I should say. Probably do need to put that clarification on. But I'll be honest, I was transported all the way back to April 2001 while doing that show. And watching WrestleMania on the, by today's standards, rather quite small television in the corner of my parents' room whilst at home from university having to watch it on headphones as not to wake my mum and stepfather trying to explain to them why I was watching that crap at 2am on a Monday morning it all came flooding back and that's really the purpose of these shows and why we do them for those who were there at the time to relive them and see things they didn't see and for those of us who weren't there at the time to get to experience this sensational that word again piece of pro wrestling for the first time as if it were happening going to go around the guests one more time and what a performance from them eric landstrom stunning stuff from euster but then it's not so stunning you've proved it in the past you've proved it again as if you needed to oh well it was just an honor to be uh invited to be part of this historical show i think we did it justice and i'll be in touch with you about scheduling my uh appearance uh, <laughs> around the late summer to revise my rating on the show <laughs> Uh, yes, I can say this now. We might well be needing you in a few months' time. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Eric. Magnificent contributions, as always. Mr. Lacey, complete with food order in the middle of recording. Wonderful stuff from you, my good man. As always, you know, it's one of those of when the big shows are here, time to turn up. But yeah, it's, it's, this was taking me back to being up a mate's house with a Domino's order, lots of beer and trying to be quiet and not wake his parents up. Cause yeah, as you said, how dare you be sitting up watching wrestling at city o'clock in the morning on a 32 inch TV in my mate's bedroom. What we used to do 20 years ago. Quite. Thank you so much for joining us, my man. Dan Welling, had to have you on for an A show of this quality, and boy, did you meet the challenge. Well, I, I really hope so, and I hope the listeners enjoys that mammoth review, but I feel like, again, the show of all shows deserved it. And Chris White, there we are. I feel like I've said this a few times already over the last couple of weeks, but here we are one more time. We've done it. We've done it, and it, it feels really good. I always remember being a little i believe what eight year old and uh scurrying around to my nan's house <laughs> bless her heart she had recorded on vhs this show for me because i was so desperate to watch it scurrying around there after school and just in awe of what i was seeing because like that was my first what felt like my first real wrestlemania you know the wrestlemania that felt like wrestlemania this this is it for me um and as it so happens far beyond eight-year-old chris white pretty historically significant as well a real honor to be here with all of you guys and for the listeners to review this one and and rory if you don't mind me saying excellently led by yourself good sir 
Thank you, my man. Wanted to make sure brought the big guns today for a show of this magnitude. And this really does feel like the end of something in so many ways. The end of Babyface Austin, the end of the Attitude Era. We'll see how much that holds over the next few months. Obviously, the end of WCW, sadly, the forthcoming end of ECW. But also for us, it is the end of something as well, because we talked about this at the end of our third volume last month, where we had big dates in our own personal pantheon for when we joined this project. And WrestleMania 17 is very much in that category as well. But fear not, dear listener, it might be the end of WWF Mark 1 as portrayed on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. It most certainly is not the end of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. There may be one or two rather notable changes that you might notice over the next month or two. But one thing I can guarantee that the wrestling 20 years ago portion of these shows are going to continue for the foreseeable future. Obviously just going to be WWF only on the main feed for a good while, but in timeline every single month reviewed by our top notch team and our excellent contributors. They are going nowhere. And yeah, just thank you so much for listening to this. It's been our longest review show as it was always going to be as it always had to be. I think all of us contributors, listeners alike, probably deserve a little bit of a break so you won't be getting anything new on the feed until the first week in may when we do give you our april show for wwf from me eric landstrom chris white chris lacy and dan welling thank you so much for all of your support over the last seven and a half years all of our contributors appreciate it more than you could possibly imagine to coin a phrase do stick with us through 2021 slash 2001 and what else could I possibly play you out with? We'll see you all next month on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Check out this melody. China is the WWF Women's Champion. You want to Shocking, you'll get shocking. WrestleMania 17, McMahon versus McMahon. A street fight means just that. I think we can call this dysfunctional.
defeated The Undertaker. A brawl with criminal intentions. This is The Undertaker's Playground. Son of a bitch, I don't believe this! Stephen Moore's drinking a damn beer! What's it 